Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk to recorded, recorded live. It's January 22nd, 2015 at 7.35 p.m., on the East Coast, I'm up in Maine, Bangor, Maine, and it seems like we were just here yesterday. That's how fast the week has gone by, but anyway, um, and I didn't even remember to schedule the show until like, what, a half an hour ago, so if you came looking earlier in the day, you probably thought I wasn't going to do it, but yeah, Desert Pete, I saw or heard something like that, but I didn't get a chance to go in and look into that, but I bet we'd recognize the face of that person, the Saudi king, Abdullah. Died at age 90. Anyway, so here we are. Um, Tonight I wrote something because I thought I should because I didn't know how I would keep everything in my mind. I had a headache late this afternoon. And I just wanted to, I don't know, express myself, I guess. So hang in there. Okay, this is sort of written just so I have something to organize my thoughts while I had a headache trying to write it. So if I think of something else, I'm adding it, if you get what I'm saying. Um, I told you it was going to be a little different this year, so I don't know, I may lose some of the people that have been coming, and I may not. They may like it better or not like it as much, but I'm going to be talking about what I think... um, you know, what I think life is or whatever, I'm going to mix that into even more than I have in the past because I think that just talking about all the wild, crazy stuff around us, such as deflated footballs, is, is just trivia and nonsense, and I don't care about it. So, um, I, you know, to keep my sanity, I need to talk about what I think is important. And so that's what I'm going to do. And tonight, like I said, I had a headache, so I decided I would write something down to organize my thoughts a little bit. Okay, where do I start? Today has been an interesting flow of revelations one after the other. Today was actually a pretty good day. So, Tonight is Uda. What do I talk about? Changes, events, literal reality, what I've learned this week, what I've thought about this week. Hmm. Well, today was one of those jump-ahead days in dot connecting, in seeing with clarity. I get them, but today felt different. It was refreshing. It came with a surge in energy, too. Yesterday, I was really sick. I was sick to my stomach. I was upset. I was coping. I was worrying a bit. I was thinking and fretting. I listened to promising news over at Able Danger. I heard promising news at Maine Exposed last night. Things are happening. I heard cool stuff here and there, but I still felt sick. I was overstressed. I'd been up all night. I'd been up all night the night before, pretty much all night. It wasn't good. Uh, And it wasn't really insomnia. It was more like I couldn't sleep because the person I was sleeping with was very restless. So I was like, I'm going downstairs. Well, then I woke up. so And I didn't feel good, so it was like, yuck. So that's not a usual thing for me to be up like that. So I was a little messed up anyway from not sleeping as much. So anyway, then I saw this Facebook posting yesterday. 
late in the afternoon that one of my favorite, very significant people had passed away at the age of 96. A simple Facebook posting by a relative, and I was instantly grieving, and I was very angry that no one had called to tell me and let me know, not one. So I cried for a bit. Actually, two good men died yesterday. One, Pat LaMarche's father. Remember, I read you some things from Pat LaMarche and told you how much I admire her. Her father passed away. And one was this uncle and close friend on my late husband's side of the family. I didn't know which direction my emotions should go. I was trying to just ponder the reality that people I knew were feeling deep grief and whether or not I was so sick because I somehow knew this. In other words, knew that he was dying because I had a lot of connection with this person that died. Well, we have been having some money worries again, stupid though that is. I had not anticipated every possible contingency, and the money had drained right out with the lien payments and other large outlays, and we have not been generating income well because we're regrouping, because we're going to make major changes in our life this year, hopefully. A saw was put up for sale on Craigslist, and it brought a response late last night. I would say probably 11 o'clock last night. Thank you, God. The person came today to get it. Thank you, God. He brought it. For, he bought it for the price we asked. Thank you, God. On top of all of this, the man who came was a godsend in other ways in the reminders and the messages I got from his visit. Let's just say he brought up so many issues and thoughts service to country. He'd been in the Coast Guard. He was a lighthouse keeper. The basic honesty of some of us human beings. This man was instantly someone I liked. He was he was honest to a fault. I completely opened up to him. I could have talked to him for days and never got sick of it. That's how close of a connection I had instantly with him. Um, that alienation within families is not that unusual for those of us who choose to follow a different path. This man had lost children of his and an ex-wife because of people who were upset with him and never told him why. Just He was just gone. Um, and uh, that was just that was something he just told me in response to something I said to him. I can't even remember what it was, but he was just open. He was completely open about everything. It was amazing. Um, that uh, Maine is more important than the international interest. We had a lot of discussions about that stuff. He knew a lot of things. That when I brought up certain things, he knew a lot about them. I think he's one of those people that's just around um, and what I call a key person, because no matter what you say to them, they know something about it, or they're connected to it in some way. Lots of dribs and drabs of connection, amazing connection. I took his name and address for the future because I told him of a couple of things that I thought he would be interested in, but I don't know where the heck they are in my house, because my house is still somewhat ragged and a mess. And when I wrote down his name and, and uh, address, on the Rolodex card, because I still use one of those old-fashioned Rolodexes with a card, um, it fell open to the uncle's page. It fell open to the same card of where this uncle that died yesterday. It was eerie. It was eerie. There were a lot of different things in the conversation that were eerie as well. It made me feel like it was a visit from that person. But anyway, 
in a way, you know, like a conduit, like an angel when they come to visit you. So it popped so it popped open to the card for the uncle that died yesterday in Florida. Anyway, I see now all the little pieces coming together. And this was another thing I was thinking about today. This actually happened to me this week. Like the flash of a wood stove that's been smoldering. Throwing sparks and embers at your face and all over the floor as you open the door carelessly. We are nearly there. The gases are swirling about and one small spark is all it's going to take. It is so close. Now, for those of you that don't burn wood, you don't know what I'm talking about. But for people that do burn wood, they do know what I'm talking about. When you have a wood stove in your house and you have it all closed up to conserve the heat so it's not going up the chimney, you have to open it up before you open the door to the wood stove. Otherwise, it could be smoldering in there and it will flash back at you because it's, it's sucking the air suddenly and the flame will just come right out. That happened to me this week. Um, actually, I had opened some of it. I don't think that I was, like, um, you know, opening it with it still all, you know, opening the door with everything still closed up. It could be that I did that, but I don't think I did because we've burned wood for years. I don't think I did that. But it was smoldering, and instead of opening it slowly, I opened it quickly, and it just it flung embers all over the kitchen floor as though I was like next to a volcano or something. It was really scary actually so I poured water all over it to put it out but if um, if you think of it that way as the flashback of a fire that's what I think is going on in the world right now we have all those gases just kind of swirling around and all it's going to take is one little spark and it's just going to go everything will go at once it's going to be like mass awakening mass chaos I don't know whatever happens I'm hoping it's going to just be a mass awakening rather than the mass chaos because the chaos won't be as good. But I think we're right on the edge. And I'm surprised it hasn't already happened, to tell you the truth. Another thing that happened um, that I don't know if I mentioned since the beginning of January, but I thought of it again today, was that I came downstairs one morning after I'd you know, gone upstairs to get dressed, and the top third of the Christmas tree was out. And I went over to see if it was just a string of lights that I could take off and maybe replace because I didn't want to take the tree down yet. But it wasn't. It was just part of a, a string, so I left it there. And I had looked at that quite a few times, you know, just staring at it like, this is so symbolic that the top has lost all its power. And so every day I would come in the room, I'd look at it and go, the top has lost its power. And I think it really has. Anyway, so I'm saying, I guess, we need to be prepared for the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. And I think it's not going to be the people they think that are going to be doing that. Okay, so that's my little thing that I came up with this afternoon while I was trying to figure out, you know, figure out what I was going to say. So, um, I don't know, did that make anybody think of anything important or prompt you in any way towards, you know, getting me committed or, you know, getting me committed to a state institution. No. Um, I mean, does that ring true with anyone that we are, like, right on the verge of, like, huge change? I know I've talked about that before and thought it was any minute, but 
it's gone on and on and on and on and on. I don't know what possible other great and marvelous events they could figure out to try to run past the public that would work at this point because so many people have figured out that these are all games they play. So, okay, let's see. Um, number five says, consider me your psychiatrist. Okay, number five. Um, I see you want to be a writer. Uh, I am a writer, so I'm not wanting to be a writer. That wasn't one of my best things, obviously. It was mostly notes, but I have written. Um, and actually, I've written some pieces that I started this year thinking I was going to do a book, or was it last year? I don't know. Valium probably knows. But I had started some um, little columns or little chapters or whatever you want to call it, and it was uh, Notes to Bluffdale. I don't know if you remember that. Notes to Bluffdale, um, they're the only ones that are listening or something like that. <clears throat> um, number five, so number, let's see, Jen Art says, my wife says I run in my sleep. Yeah, it was pretty much like that, a lot of kicking. And I was just like, you know, every time I almost fall asleep, I get a kick or, you know, it was something like that. But he was sound asleep, so he didn't he didn't know. You know, I was like, just leave. I'm just going downstairs and sleep. Um, so number five says, I thought you sold a home. Yes, I did. Um, lots of paper still on your desk. Oh, my. <clears throat> Jen Art says, if I had Ginger's money, I'd burn mine. <laughs> That's so funny. The flume. All right. Um, the thing is, and... If you've come very often to this show, you know that I've talked about various aspects and how convoluted they've gotten. And when I talked to that guy today about how things were and, you know, why I felt that I could speak with conviction about the things that I've gone through, or not, be, it's not because I've seen it or heard about it. It's because I've lived it. That's the reason why I can say the things I say is because I've done it. You know, to say... People, when they go to court, they're not heard. I can tell you, I went to court, and I was not heard. And I can tell you that when I see things online or I watch something, you know, like a video somebody has made, I can tell you whether or not I can confirm what they're saying. I, I can tell whether or not I believe it's true because of what I've lived, not just that, hey, I like her and I believe her, that kind of thing. That, to me, is um, a very shallow view of life when it's just an observation of something and you haven't lived anything. And it and when somebody says, well, you think you're better than other people because of all this stuff, and I am certainly not better. Absolutely not. I don't put myself above other people. I will say that I've probably been through a lot more than many people, and I've probably thought about a lot more than many people, and I've done a lot more things than other people. That doesn't mean I'm better than other people. So when I get that kind of attitude back from people, it just really ticks me off, you know? So to have a conversation today with somebody who was so knowledgeable, so with it, I mean, really gets it, and had gone through a lot of the same things with, you know, basically persecution of family members and people close to them, they, um, you know, I knew that he was the real deal. He was the real deal. He's one of those people that you just want to spend time with and know. And uh, right now he's building a boat, so that's why he came to buy the saw. It was just cool. It was the coolest, coolest thing. But hard to describe to someone else. You know what I mean? 
I'm sure that if that's ever happened to you in your life where you've met somebody that was just like instant click like that, you'd know what I mean. It's it's like, how come I never ran into you before? Well, the reason I never ran into that person before is because he lived in Alaska <laughs> so, um, and had just come back to Maine. So anyway, um, and the, the funny part of it is that the, re the whole conversation started because I said, you look familiar to me. And he said, maybe I look familiar to you because I've been on TV interviewed about being a lighthouse keeper. <laughs> so I was just like, maybe that's it, even though I doubt it was because I don't watch television. But I may have seen a picture in a book because I do read about things like lighthouses. And um, it went from there. All right, um, I'm going down through and see what people said. My money won't burn, I'm down to coins. That's Desert Pete. Yeah, I know, Desert Pete, my goodness. Um, yeah, three-layer ones. I, I was like, what does that mean? Oh, you're talking about the coins. Yeah, they're sandwiched metals. They're not gold anymore, that's for sure. Um. Chat creep. I don't know what chat creep means. Um, people say something about scrolling occasionally. I never see it, so I don't know if it has something to do with um, browsers or what. So, um, yeah, Jen Art saying, Ginger, you're an elitist, LOL. And guest five said, did you say you sold a what? Her house. It wasn't my house that I live in. I sold a, depart a department house, yeah. I sold an apartment house, a duplex, side-by-side -side type townhouse duplex. I sold that last year, but it didn't sell till August. So what happened was because of the timing and things being out of order, it didn't give me the benefit it would have it had it sold at the time when it was first offered on, which was like February. And then the second buyer was supposed to have been buying it, um, I believe it was going to be mid-May, if I recall. Um, and all the issues at my other apartment house were going to be solved over the summer, which didn't happen because the house didn't sell until August. It's just, it's the story of my life. In fact, <laughs> in fact, today when I was talking to that guy, I was telling him about how to get back to the person that died in Florida yesterday, the 96-year-old um, wonderful man, another World War II vet. I almost mentioned him in Able Danger chat yesterday at the show. I put up a picture of my father yesterday over there. I haven't shared much about my family or anything, but when I put up a picture of my father over there yesterday, I thought about this other person who was a World War II vet, also had secret clearances, et cetera, um, who stayed in the Navy for a long period of time. It was just a a very, very interesting man who had no children um, and should be remembered just for all the cool things he did in his life. I, it's hard to share about somebody like that. Unique individuals, you know, the people that go and do things, they don't just stay home and watch television and lead a mundane life. Not that that really matters if that's what you want to do. I mean, there are people that do that and they're perfectly happy. But then you have these people that just they adventure and they go places. And this particular uncle 
had gone to like places like the South Pacific. He went back to visit the places he'd been in the Navy. He spent time on Rarotonga, and he wrote he wrote um, like little small books about the places he would visit. But he almost didn't come back from Rarotonga because he had such a great time there, and they were trying to keep him. He had like you know people trying to get him to marry them and stuff. It was like a very closed and um, small native community. And he was like treated like royalty there. He just loved it. He loved everything about the place. And um, no one knew where he was because he'd travel by himself. And then he'd show up again and he'd go, oh, I was in Rarotonga. I didn't know if I was going to come back. So very independent. Um, sometimes he would tell me stories about how he'd gone to, I don't even remember the place now, but he would have, you know, he would have told me where he was after he came back that he'd gone swimming by himself. He'd gone hiking and swimming by himself in some you know, mountainous place in the middle of nowhere, somewhere on the globe. And I, I'd say, what if you drowned or something? What if you had a medical emergency and you didn't even speak the language of the people? He said he didn't care. He just wanted to live his life and enjoy it. He didn't care if he drowned over there or something happened to him. He just didn't care. He um, traveled with us my late husband and I across Canada. That was the big trip that I've talked about before. To go up to, um, we went up to Yellowknife. He wanted to go to um, Alaska, to, and I forget now exactly which place in Alaska it was. Yukon Territories in Alaska. Yeah, it was Yukon Territories. I mixed it up. Um, where Jack London had lived and uh, Robert Service had lived up there. There's like a I guess a cabin or something like that, a, a homestead type place that's used like a museum now. And um, he wanted to go there and just sit on the property and recite the poems that he had learned by heart. One of them was The Cremation of Sam McGee, and I forget the other one. There were, there were two long poems that were story poems, and he had memorized them. He could sit down and just tell you the whole poem. And the people that were up there were just amazed we didn't go there because we went to Yellowknife. That was where we had planned to go, and he had changed his mind at the last of it that he didn't want to go to Yellowknife as well. He just wanted to go on the other trip, and he didn't care about meeting us on the way back. So we came back, just the two of us, without him. But, you know, these are the kinds of things that we did. We were so um, close for several years. Um, I helped him work on a book. He would, this is how we did it. <laughs> this was my harebrained idea for how I could be the editor of the book and help him. He would write a chapter, and he'd mail it to me in a manila envelope. You know, they call them vanilla envelopes, the big yellow envelope. He would mail me the chapter. I would be so excited because here comes another chapter, right? And I would um, take my cassette player and my little Radio Shack blank tape, stick it in a cassette player, sit down, and read it out loud onto the tape. And as I read it out loud onto the tape, cold, I would make comments. Like I would say, I don't know what you meant about that. Oh, I like the way you described the guy's beard, you know, things like that. I would make comments about it, or I might fix the grammar. Like you need to put a comma there after this word, that kind of thing. And then I would send the tape back to him, and he would revise it. And what ended up happening was after he would send me another one, he'd send me another chapter and another chapter 
and I was like, man, this is like the third version of the same chapter, and now he's changing the chapter. I didn't want him to change the content. I wanted him to leave it the way it was because it was so good. And now he's now he's writing. In other words, it was changing his writing style. It was changing what he was saying. And I thought, this isn't right. He's taken all the good stuff out of it. And he's making it bland now. I don't want it bland. I just want him to, you know, think about these things. Is that what he wanted to say? Because this is what I took from it. Or what does that word mean? You know, that kind of thing. <coughs> so while I was doing that, his wife, who was my, my husband's aunt, was irritated because she was just like, you know, every time I look at him, I'm seeing his back because he's working on that blank book, blankety blank book. And it, I don't know how much time he was spending writing, but she was not liking it according to him. So he was thinking, I really need to stop writing. I'll finish this book and I'm going to stop writing for a while. Well, the book never got published. It would have made a great movie. It was a big adventure, and it was an under, like an underground base, so it would fit right in with this time frame that we're in now. But it was like an under, underground, undersea base. So I wonder if it was real. Anyway, um, so somewhere in the house, I probably have that book still. I have things in my house that are probably related to him. You know, um, after sixty years of marriage. His wife decided she wanted a divorce, and within a short period of time after that, she became ill with cancer. And all it did was screw up all the medical stuff as far as his rights to have, you know, medical information or to help her out or anything. And they were back to being friends by then, but they weren't married anymore, so it just complicated things. It was really crazy. It was like, who gets divorced after 60 years when they're you know, when they've been together all that time and been all over the world with the Navy and stuff. It was just so funny. Because they were still they were still together. They just weren't living in the same house. So anyway, um after she passed away, um we saw him quite a bit. That was why we you know, one of the reasons we went on the trip. We had all kinds of adventures with him by himself. So the thing that was so difficult yesterday what really you know just set me off was that nobody even called me as close as we were you know we were very close in you know like um trying to think oh my camp that I talk about once in a while we bought that camp from he and his wife and it was because they had no children and they were going to sell it and it came within like two weeks of being sold but they waited so that we could get ready to be able to buy it so we bought the camp, and then after that, we were closer to them. We saw them a lot more. We were doing all kinds of things with them, and um, they they were coming back to Maine in the summers, and they were kind of missing going down there and stuff. And so we said, well, what about if we buy this used trailer? We had a chance to buy a used house trailer. We were going to set it on the property, fix it all up so it didn't look like a trailer, you know, put landscaping and you know pretty stuff around it stuff and they'd have a guest house where they could just come and stay and so we had it hauled down there it was a big deal the neighbors didn't like looking at it they pitched a fit so we had it moved so they wouldn't have to look at it and then they decided the relatives decided they weren't they didn't want to do that they didn't want to come down there in the summers and everything so we sold the trailer again sold in quotes because the person never paid for it, but it was hauled away, and we got stuck with you know, this trailer, D 
deal that we never got any benefit from. All we did was pay out, didn't get any money back. And the guy that bought it, who never paid for it, rented it, which was even more salt in the wound. But that's a whole other story. Um, so anyway, this uncle felt bad about that, and he bought me a car. He bought me a used car to, to make up for it, and he went and picked it out and everything, and we went and just went and got it. And we That's the car that we drove across Canada, actually. But he got me a Subaru, a, a safe car to drive in the snow. So, you know, they were just, in a way, he was like a, he was like a, um, I won't say a surrogate father, but definitely a close friend, a mentor. Um, and I just, you know, sad. All right, so get control of my whiny emotions again. So let's see. Go back to people are talking about in here. Oh man, I'm not going to approach the um, some of the stuff that I see in my chat. Sometimes I just don't. I don't even want to approach it. I'd rather not even address it because to me it makes <clears throat> it makes no sense to keep up divisions that are not necessary. That's how I feel about it. Um, World War II vets helped destroy this nation, Western civilization, guest number six says. Um, they sided with the international Jew bankers and international Jew communism. Now all white nations are being destroyed with diversity and gay marriage. I don't know how old guest number six is, but I would guess that this person is, let's see, World War II was a war between internationalism versus nationalism. They were on the wrong side. Everyone has a choice. You are wrong, Desert Pete. No one is shot for refusing military service. I am a former U.S. Marine, says the Jew media gen art. Germans fully supported Hitler as he was fighting against Jew communism and Jew bankers along with all the sexual degeneracy in Germany. The Jew tells you that Wall Street funded Hitler when it was really funding communism in Russia. I finished my service but then went back in as officer and resigned my commission at that time. Oh, on a roll, guest six. Well, here's the thing. Okay, I was going to guess that age, but now you've given an indication. I joined because I was brainwashed with first Gulf War propaganda, 1990. All right, this, I'm going to just say... I don't agree with you, number one. I'm not saying there isn't some validity to some of the things that are said there. But here's how I see that, all right? 1990, I'm actually old enough to remember most of this stuff. I wasn't alive in World War II, but my father was a World War II vet, so I heard about it. I've seen the mementos that he has. In fact, I have his scrapbook here, and some nights maybe I'll talk about some of that stuff. But... 1990, I was coming home from my job, my new job down at my little school that I worked at for 15 years, putting, helping with everything, putting the Internet in and all the stuff that people that are here regularly for a long period of time know. I was a school librarian. I did all kinds of work, and that was the school that I put the most of my 
school librarian work into 15 years of it. So I was driving home, commuting home, coming down 1A in Holden. Sun was in my eyes, and that song came on the radio. Um, I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died who gave that right to me. And I'll gladly stand up next to you um, and defend her still today. For there ain't, there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. I was singing along with it, and I started crying because I was so upset that George Herbert Walker Bush was having to go through all of the stress and anxiety of the stuff that was happening in the world. Okay. Um, you think my, my mind may have been changed a little bit since 1990? Oh, it really has. It's been changed a huge amount since 1990. For one thing, every generation that I've ever known, which are people mostly World War II and, and older, although, I mean, my grandparents certainly were pre that, and I knew them, so we were taught that our country was the shining beacon on the hill. We were the light of the world. We were going to bring um, a better way of life to everyone else in the world. That's what we were raised with. We were raised with the idea that progress was something that was to be valued, that um, anything new and innovative was to be valued. Um, people were going to live better lives. Um, they had a promise that in the future, if they worked hard now, they would have a payoff later on. Um, that our soldiers were going overseas to fight things uh, um, called um, such names as the Yellow Peril, um, the Red Menace. We grew up with that. We grew up with um, scenes on television that were not recorded. You had to sit in front of the TV every night at the same time or you missed what was going on in the world. So people that saw, for example, someone like Lee Harvey Oswald shot, saw it live because we were watching television at the time when it happened. Um, what else was different back then? Um, it was considered a badge of honor to have a picture of your dead soldier on the mantle because these were people you honored in your family, that they gave their life for their country and for the people that they cared about, for the American way of life. We were taught that Americans were different than anyone else on the planet. And I'm going to say this, it may not sit well with people, but we were better than anyone else on the planet. Superior people, superior beings. And that because of that, we had responsibility. So we were supposed to feed the poor, starving children in Africa because for, through no fault of their own, they were being starved to death, and it was just because they didn't know anything found that was not true. That's not a fact. The fact of the matter is their resources were stolen from them. They were brought from their small villages where they were doing fine into certain concentrated areas where they were controlled and either starved or given no water or anything so that they could depopulate them and steal their resources. This is something I've learned later. I didn't know it when I was in high school. 
I didn't know it when my late husband and I were signing up to go on the Peace Corps to go overseas and help people. That's what we thought we should do. Would I think so now? No, because I've learned more about the Peace Corps as well. So my thoughts have changed over the years. Um, What else was going on back in the day? Extreme patriotism. I mean, we're talking... um, People knew that when the flag passed by that you stood up. If you had a hat on your head, you took it off. If it was a parade, you put your hand over your heart or you saluted. When the colors were passing by you, you didn't sit there and chat. You didn't take pictures of it with your cell phone. You didn't chew gum. You didn't talk to people around you. And you didn't make noise because it was a sacred thing for the flag to be passing by you. We were raised that way. We were raised to respect our country. So there's no apology there either. I can tell you from the fact of the conversations I had with my father, who was a World War II vet, who had secret jobs during the Navy, the things that he finally could talk about as he got older in life, these people didn't know all the things that some of the younger generation thinks they knew. Maybe you've been told they knew it but they did not know it. They believed what they were told from their superior officers and their services that they were in. They believed that they were doing the best they could to protect the United States. They may have known that some of it was just to protect the United States' interests and not the people, but they never thought that they were out there doing the dirty work for the global capitalists, such as is happening now. It was a different type of thing. It was a different story. Every war, actually. The Vietnam War, how many times have you heard about these people that they were disgusting, anti-American, turned yellow, cowards running to Canada? Not true. That None of that stuff is true. People being spit on when they came back to Vietnam, that's BS. I'm sorry. It is. If that happened anywhere, Let's hear from the people that said it actually happened to them rather than somebody spreading a rumor. Because I had friends that went to Vietnam, and when they came back, they weren't spit on. They were ignored. They came back to the country and were treated like maybe they didn't belong back in society because they were so messed up in the head. I don't blame them. I can see why they would be messed up in the head, what they lived through. But they weren't spit on. And the other thing that happened as far as the people that protested the war and ran to Canada so they wouldn't be drafted into the war, were treated like crap. And what they were doing was standing up for what they knew was right, which is that we're not going over there and shoot innocent people and kill innocent people just because somebody says we have to. And I don't blame them. If I was a guy, I might have done the same thing. I don't think I would have gone over there and killed innocent people, which is what happened. And we saw that stuff on the news every single freaking night. We saw how many people died that day. We saw videos of the actual killings. We saw people that were alive back then to watch this stuff. This was before recording, okay? They would show clips to you once in a while, but you couldn't record stuff off the television and watch it again. You couldn't record it and watch it later on because you were busy. You had to sit there and see it every night. They'd show people shot in the head. They'd show people run over. It was extremely graphic. Anyway, so I guess what I'm saying is not everybody's at the same level of knowledge on things. Not everybody knows exactly what's been operating in the world for so long. 
but it would be wise if people listen to some of the older people that have seen it and seen it from every aspect and seen it over time because maybe some of the things we believed earlier, like 20 or 30 years ago, have changed. I know for me, a lot of them have changed. People I voted for that I thought were you know, on the up and up and wanted to do the right thing and find out later that they're nothing but a bunch of criminals. And last night, I'm over at Maine Exposed. I'm sitting there listening to it. And what do we expose? There are people still alive that have done stuff that, more than likely, they knew what they were doing at the time. They weren't doing what was in the best interest of everyone. And still walking around like they're great, like they're just great. So I'm going to go back to what I said before. Instead of talking about all this stuff in the intellectual sense about how everything has happened in the world and who's who and all of the groups that want to get labeled so they can hate each other, why don't we start talking about the individuals and what their responsibility is in this and find out what they did and when they did it and why they did it and expose those people? Because I don't think there's that many of them, honestly. So hopefully I didn't rant and rave too long. Everybody laughed, but hopefully not. Um, I just don't get it. I don't get the division. Um, when um, here's another thing that relates to that. In my tonight, I'm just scattery. I know, but at least the headache's going away. One of the things that I watched this week, and it's something I haven't gone into in depth yet, but I will, is this um, movie called Gray State. I don't know if you've heard of that or not, but the family, the man that that uh, was making this movie and his family were found dead, I believe, this week, but recently anyway. And they'd been dead since before Christmas. Um, the movie, when it's been posted online, has been taken down several times. I watched an hour of it yesterday in case it disappeared again, that I would know at least I'd seen part of it. And I thought it was very well done. I know that people are going to say, well, Alex Jones is in it, so you know, how can we listen to this stuff? But there's a lot of uh, truth in it. And um, there are things that are right in front of your face. I mean, you don't need to have somebody tell you it. You will know instantly whether or not it's true or not just from watching it. So if you get a chance, please go and see, go and find that movie, Gray State. It wasn't finished yet. It was in the process of being done. So it isn't completely a finished product, but it's, little clips of things, and um, it may bring some new insights into things that have happened in the in the last you know, few decades and uh, some of the people involved as to how they do everything, how they um, change the public opinion and how they um, make sure that certain news stories get out there and other ones don't get out there. I don't remember what I was going to say about that, but that's okay. I'll just leave that off for now until it occurs to me again. Maybe I'll remember it in a minute. But, uh, you know, think for yourselves and think about the individual. Think about who is actually doing it. Like I said, there's not that many people who are in the positions that can do those things. So it's not that hard to narrow them down at this point and see who they are and where they are. 
Um, I was trying to think what the latest one was. Oh, um, the decision lately on um, what's going on with the mill down in Bucksport as to who gets to buy it and that kind of thing. There, there were some shenanigans involved with the sale of the mill or the proposed sale of the mill, and the judge decided that he wasn't going to get in the way of the sale going through and that kind of thing. And the media kept saying, the federal court, the federal court, the federal court. And um, someone I know said, um, it's Judge Woodcock. Judge Woodcock is the one deciding the person deciding, the one man deciding. So let's say who it is. It's Judge Woodcock. It's not the federal, the feds, the federal court. It's Judge Woodcock deciding. So it falls into the hands of one person to make a decision, and that happens many times. So rather than generalizing, put the face on it, because there's usually a person responsible, one individual person. All right, let's see. I blabbed so long I lost track of my chat people. So um, if there's anything I missed back in there that's important and you want to make sure I see it, just post it again. I'll look towards the end of the chat for now. <coughs> James Finn's got a lot of Zs, so he must have been sleeping. Um, One person was spit on and now it's everyone. Guest number five said, that's how I felt about it. Like maybe it happened and it was generalized. But um, the thing I saw from my friends that were Vietnam vets was that they were mostly forgotten about. They came back and no one dealt with the fact that they were going through trauma. They were going through uh, huge amounts of mental illness. And... If someone had been alive at the time and knew these men that went over there that were drafted, they would understand why. Because what they did was they took people almost like off the street, took them over to Vietnam, and dropped them off in a field. And if you if you know anyone from Vietnam and they haven't really talked about it a lot, ask them sometime how they arrived in Vietnam. Because I heard from people that I knew back then that they didn't even have uniforms. They just dropped them off because they figured, why waste the uniforms on these people? They're going to be killed anyway. So it was definitely guerrilla warfare for these men that went over in that capacity. I know there were people that went over that served in other ways, but I'm talking about the ones that were doing the hand-to-hand combat type things, the infantry. They were left there with nothing, basically, to fight with. They were nothing but bodies, and it's just disgusting. So being anti-war while being patriotic is an interesting thing. It's an interesting combination. But, um, you know, when, when somebody goes over to serve, they're, they're leaving to go serve their country. Most of the people you know, I'm sure, aren't somebody who would go over there just to kill families and little children and stuff like that. They're not going over there to guard poppies um, and protect um, stolen natural resources of other countries. That's not the reason they sign up. And once you're in, you don't just say, well, I changed my mind. I think I'll go home now and uh, work on cars because that's not going to happen. So respect for people that would give their life for their country at the very least, even if you don't like the war itself. And I don't like any of the wars because I know what they are. 
So um, I've seen I've seen some pretty messed up people that have come back from Iraq and Afghanistan. Some of them I've had as tenants, and some of them I've worked with, and it's not pretty. Okay. Um, Bell M is giving some statistics that um, people were asking for her to verify. So, all right. So the groupthink thing. Yes, I I can't stand the groupthink thing. I, I mean, how many times have I said um, that I'm against? the big organizations of any kind. I used to belong to these things. I mean, seriously, I don't talk about stuff just off the top of my head. I mean, I do, but I don't also. It depends on how you look at it. The top of my head meaning lightly or just casually. But I do talk off the top of my head because sometimes that's how my brain works. Um, you can belong to a large group organization thinking you're doing the right thing and find out later that you weren't because that group wasn't representing itself well. And so your ideas can change with the way your life changes. And if you haven't run into any of that stuff in your life, well, good, because you're probably doing fairly well because you're not like stressed constantly about 15 billion things at the same time. But if you have had one thing and then another and then another and then another before you have a chance to even cope with it or get it back under control, things can go wacky really fast. And this is what happened in my life. That's why I understand it. If you have, like, you know, huge things happen in your life, usually there's one or two at a time, if that. And people will say, oh, my gosh, what a hard run you're having. But when you have, like, seven or ten or you know, many of them in a row, they start looking at you like it must be something you're doing. And they start treating you like that. And that is the hard part because it isn't that. It's the fact that you can't get yourself back up again because the minute you try, you get smashed down again. And we know people, and some of them are right in this room right now with us, that that's happened to. So to get back to it, yes, I did sell a house, but it didn't really do me the good it would have. Yes, my dad died and he left me some money, but he didn't leave me a lot of money because my dad was 94 years old and his money went towards his late life care. He paid for his own. He didn't go on the state. So his his care where he was living was expensive because he lived in someone's home and it included everything. So that's why I didn't inherit a lot of money from my dad. Had he died in his 60s, I would have inherited a lot of money from my dad because he did really well at, you know, investing and taking care of things and, you know, but I certainly wouldn't be like some of the people these days that say, you know, well, your life's over. You're not doing any good for us, so let's get you out of here early and save some money. I've heard people talk like that about their parents. It's disgusting. You know, um, we would have run dad's money out as long as it took. And then he would have come to live with one of us. So we weren't about to be farming him out anywhere. People have weird ideas about things like this, too. They just do. We had um, somebody in my boyfriend's family that went to the hospital this week because he had, like, a seizure. 
and it was the same one that was sick earlier that I talked about a few weeks ago. It was the same person. So he had to go from Jackman into Skowhegan to the hospital. And then when he was being released to go back home again, they wanted his sister to be responsible for him. These are adults that are like in their 60s. He goes, I can't drive him back up there. I work. You know, this is the kind of stuff that if you say, oh, okay, to that, then they'll stick you with it. And I'm sorry, but even if you love your brother or sister, you're not going to take on their care for their medical and be their, you know, their, whatever you call it, responsible party. It's, and the hospital tried to do that. So <clears throat> it's like, no, you guys have, um, you have services for people. You take care of that. Anyway, that's just another side of the line of how whacked people are right now. And guess what? He got back. He had he had uh, transportation back from uh, some fund probably the state has. Okay, let's see. White people should not kill other white people. Well, there's an idea. How about let's not kill anybody? Self-defense. That's basically my mine is self-defense, so, and I would not have one bit of problem with it if that were the case. Um, and so anyway, people are talking about some of the various stories that have been in the news lately. I have not gotten into depth on anything because I've been very busy, so it's just, I gloss over it. I try to take in enough so that I get the big picture. Um, thank you for posting those links to the movie Gray State. The whole movie, uh, as far as it had been developed, I believe, Jen Art, because it was not finished yet. I watched one hour of it so far, and I will get to the rest of it. Yes, it's two hours and 39 minutes long. Um Guest 5 says bingo, Ginger, but by the time I read it, I don't know which thing I'm being bingoed about, but good, I'm glad you're on the same page at least part of the time. Um, and yes, I think about Gregory, I think you're talking about um, Gregory Hodge, one of our main patriots, somebody who, who um, I didn't know very well, but what I saw I really liked. Um, Jen Art saying, um, don't be a patriot, especially a blind patriot. No one should ever do anything in an unthinking way, in my viewpoint. If you're a patriot, it should be because you love your country, because you know that your country is doing the right thing, is on the right track, that you can get behind and support what it's doing. Loving your country while it's rolling over other people, um, killing innocent people, my opinion on drone strikes isn't good either, um, is different. I am loyal to the American ideal and the American people. I'm not loyal to the American government because it's corrupt and it's not operating correctly. And that's why. I mean, the other way is uh, more nationalism. It's like, hey, I belong to the United States of America. I'm going to buy red, white, and blue underwear. I'm going to have American flag flip-flops, and I'm going to the beach because it's the 4th of July, and I'm patriotic, and here's my streamers. Um, 
I've seen that in people. I've seen them actually say it. I'm patriotic. That's why I put this stuff on my house. Like, huh? Patriotic's not a decoration. And um, I just see some behaviors that are really, they're not something our great-grandparents would have done. They wouldn't have stood up in the stands and screamed and yelled after the national anthem at a game because the national anthem is not a performance that you applaud for. It's a hymn. It's supposed to be solemn. And, um, you know, we've come to the we've come to the point where our society thinks that it's like rah, 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 you know. You sing the national anthem and you all start screaming. It's like it's the best thing. You know, you're Americans, and Americans somehow relate to that you're a football fan or something, or you're a NASCAR fan, or you're a baseball fan. And it's supposed to be a moment to reflect and it's supposed to be solemn. So, you know, if it's not going to be, maybe it shouldn't be played at stadiums. I don't know. Sure, other people have other opinions about that, but. Um, let's see. Um, some of the conversations are mixed together in the chat, so I can't tell which which one is which. Um, Nasera, Nasera, um, John McAfee, he passed away during um, some type of surgery. He had a bypass or something that he was recovering from and then died, according to the website. There's a lot of people who have been dying lately, and um, Keep your eyes out for that because some of it may not be just natural causes. They could be retaliation or, you know, someone who's leaving the scene and wants to um, have the public believe they've died. Look into that, too, because apparently they do that a lot, too. They pretend they've died in some way. They fake it, and then they go somewhere else to live where you would never see them, like South America or some islands or something. So... Um, as they lose their power and they realize they're not going to be able to live their life anymore the way they want it, they tend to start disappearing. So, um, um, let's see. So, and there's stuff about farmers and people getting paid, and I don't know half of what that's about, so I'm leaving that out because I don't understand it. I know we had a talk about uh, tasers recently, too, and it's just, I can't remember. It seems like I had a conversation about it this week again after that, but I can't remember it now. Probably the headache. So I'll skip over that. Um, <laughs> James Ginn, sorry, GC, to intertype conversations. That's fine. You don't have to apologize. Sometimes I go and I look at it again, and sometimes I don't. So, um, see, what else did I want to talk about tonight that was really important? Um, on and Dottie's here tonight too, so I want to mention it while she's here as well. Last night on Main Exposed, Phil Merletti did a really good—I would call it a comprehensive rundown of what happened in Maine that. Um, 
took away our governor's executive council. Our governor used to have an executive council in Maine, and it was removed by steps. And so last night we had kind of interesting conversations about all the things that were going on in different years. And uh, 1947 was a key year, I believe, in the world. And I was looking through Wikipedia about everything that was happening in 1947. It was pretty big. So um, I don't know how these things all relate together, but I know they probably do because usually when there's like um, a framework of an agenda, the people that run the place, you know, the ones that think they're better than everyone else, they have their plans all in order of how they're going to operate together to get the best result that they want. And um, so I have a feeling that the more we studied on just that particular year even. And what did I say? I used to say all the time, let's get a timeline together and see when things were happening and where they were. Because um, I just always have this feeling that it is something that would be a, an easy picture to see if we were studying on time periods and what was happening. So 1947, I'm going to give you the link to that, what I was looking at last night. Didn't get back to today either because I was busy talking to that guy, right, and uh, get some food after we got some money, which was nice. But look at the 1947 wiki with me. Um, it says, uh, was a, 1947 was a common year starting on Wednesday of the Gregorian calendar, the 1947th year of the Common Era and Anno Domini designation, the 947th year of the second millennium, the 47th year of the 20th century, and the 8th year of the 1940s decade. Well, duh. That's a funny thing to write. Then it gives you a month, month listed out and what happened on various dates within each month um, that were historical. And I was just like, drifting through it, and I thought, oh, this is cool, I'll look at this, I'll look at this. But I haven't had a chance to look through it in detail. Um, but everything I was looking at, I was going, hmm, well, that's interesting. January 31st, the communists take power in Poland. Oh, okay. And it's almost like um, 1947 was a year when they just surged ahead with as much as they could get done. It would have been right after World War II. Um, and the thing that first popped into my head last night was that Loring Air Force Base was either just in the planning stages or was being built. It was when Loring was being built in northern Maine, which was a very strategic base, by the way. It is now uh, used as a, um, it's like a, it's got a different type of, um, function. It's not a base anymore. It's a commerce center, but there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff going on up there. But in, so I'm just looking down through. There was a meteor that made an impact in the Soviet Union. Um, the United States grants France a military base in Casablanca. What the heck does that mean? The United States grants a base. What does that mean? Exactly. You know, these are the things that come up in my mind when I go look through these things. The International Monetary Fund begins to operate March 1st. Werner von Braun marries his first cousin, the 18-year-old Maria von Kerstorp. Um, you know, are any of these things significant? A coal mine explosion in Centralia, Illinois, kills 111 miners. 
I wonder if that's the one Pat LaMarche was talking about in her book. She was talking about something to do with uh, OSHA and how OSHA came to be because of a, a mine explosion. I don't know if that's the one, but see how my mind works? It's like, oh, I remember there was something about a mine explosion where a bunch of people died. And um, then they had to have OSHA, or they had to have, was it OSHA or was it, no, maybe it was workers' comp. But she, her book was about how uh, different events changed the face of, like, labor and how that affected the United States. And her book was called Daddy, What What's the Middle Class, which is basically that no one would remember the middle class after a while because it had been destroyed. So, And that's the same Pat whose dad died yesterday. And her dad was a pediatrician, and he was the head of pediatrics at Eastern Maine Medical Center. And I wrote him a letter a long time ago before I ever knew Pat. And got a nice letter back from him, which is probably somewhere in my house, because one of my kids was up there in the pediatric ward um, fighting for her life, my daughter. She was a little baby, and she was in the pediatric ward, and I was expressing myself like I do sometimes. And he was just really nice to me. So a lot of connections over your lives, especially when you live in a place like Maine where everybody knows everybody. Okay, the movie Miracle on 34th Street was first shown in theaters. The new post-war Japanese constitution goes into effect. That was quick, 1947. Um, the animated cartoon film Rabbit Transit, directed by Fritz Freeling, is released. It probably is the precursor to Bugs Bunny or something. Um... The doomsday clock of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists is introduced. Anne Frank, The Diary of a Young Girl, was published. So, um, you can go down through this yourself. you probably find some things in here that you find interesting. A fire at a movie theater in Ruel, a suburb of a suburb of Paris, France, kills 87 people. The communists seized power in Hungary. Those were in August. Um, some of these events I kind of remember from history, but some I wouldn't have put at that time frame, you know. Um, the National Security Act of 1947 becomes effective on this day. September 18th, creating the United States Air Force. I knew that the Air Force wasn't at the beginning of the country, that it was later, but I didn't remember it was 1947. So the Air Force was created. Loring Air Force Base was being built. So those things were kind of on the fast track, I would say. Um, National Security Council and the Central Intelligence Agency. The War Department becomes the Department of the Army, a branch of the Department of Defense. So they changed the structure in that part of the government. Um, Pakistan and Yemen joined the United Nations. That's interesting. Um, the first recorded use of the word computer in its modern sense, referring to an electronic digital machine. I wouldn't have thought that would be that early. So that's kind of surprising. Um, 
the Air Force test pilot Chuck Yeager flies a Bell X-1 rocket plane faster than the speed of sound. Um, GATT, the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, the foundation of the World Trade Organization is established. 1947, that surprises me. I would have thought it was later. If somebody asked me, I would have said 1990s. I would have just guessed because I would have figured it had something to do with uh, NAFTA and those things. I wouldn't have thought it was this early. So that's a surprise. Okay, and here's one for uh, Desert Pete out in California. In Long Beach, California, the designer and airplane pilot Howard Hughes carries out the one and only flight of the Hughes H-4 Hercules, the largest fixed-wing aircraft ever built and flown. This flight only lasted eight minutes. Meet the Press debuted on NBC. Um, aha, the Universal Postal Union becomes a specialized agency of the United Nations. Fifteen thousand people demonstrated in Brussels on November 16th against the relatively short prison sentences of Belgian Nazi criminals. Great Britain began withdrawing its troops from Palestine because, remember, they were setting up the the uh, state of Israel. And Princess Elizabeth married the Duke of Edinburgh at. Edinburgh or Edinburgh at Westminster Abbey. She got married. I think she got engaged on my birthday, July 10th, because I read that last night. Telstar Day, which we've been talking about on Able Danger, is Telstar. See how it goes around and around? Telstar was launched on Ju July 10th. Um, November 27th, in Paris, France, police occupied the editorial offices of the communist newspapers. Oh, yes. November 29th, the United Nations General Assembly votes to partition Palestine between Arab and Jewish regions, which results in the creation of the State of Israel. That was November 29th. I've probably skipped over all kinds of stuff that you find interesting, more interesting than what I'm blabbing about. I'm just picking stuff out to show you that that was some type of a big push in that year, 1947. Raytheon produces the first commercial microwave oven. I thought that was later also. I thought microwave ovens were the late 60s or early 70s, but apparently I was wrong. Um, There's people whose birthdays are on here, and also I think they usually have other things, not just birthdays, probably death days too. People died, so you could look at who was alive back then, and it might remind you of some of the people that were well known at the time that anybody would, you know, actually care about to put them on the list. So anyway. Um, and then that was when a lot of the stuff began as far as to get back to where I started all this when Phil was talking about the changes where the governor lost his executive council and that the state of Maine was evolving because it went slowly towards having um, lawyers writing our laws for us and um, this legislative council and how the two things um, 
violated the Maine Constitution, this change that took place, finalized in the 70s, um, because they the separation between what they called the departments, how we always say the three branches of government, Lise DuPont corrected last night and said they were called departments, three departments of government. It blended them when they were never supposed to have any contact, basically. no con There was no um, shared anything between those. They were kept separated, and they were that separation was breached at that point in the 70s, for sure, the end of it. And the names that came up during the time of the when it was finally finished in the 70s was Olympia Snow and John Martin. John Martin has recently run for office, and he's back in our legislature after time away. Um, and Olympia Snow has retired. So these things, of course, started my brain going again. What was going on back in the 70s? Who are these people? Who do I know who know these people? What do they have to say about these people? What else do I know about these people? Because it still is going back to the same thing over and over in my mind, which is that we need to look at the people, the individuals. Who's responsible for something to happen? Or who brought about the final act that caused a change? Because if you know where that is, it's just like with any other kind of thing that you need to look into. Start with what you know and work backwards. Okay, they signed this. Well, who put it? In, who put the paperwork together? Who wrote it? Well, who had the idea to write it? Why would they have written it? What did they get out of it? Did they get paid for it? Who was their friend? Who was their relative? Who were their other associates? What law firm did they work for? Um, and before too long, you have pretty much a good picture of what happened. So. Okay, first person to swim the North Channel on July 27th to 28th. Okay, i got to stop reading 1947 because it's too darn interesting in there. Get back to those sometime. Anytime you're interested in anything that has to do with history and you want to just know approximately what was going on at the time, just use the wiki for that year. You'd be amazed at how you can jump off from there. Um, last night, Jen Art was saying to me, you know, Wikipedia, really, but as a school librarian, I can tell you that adults and children alike, the first thing you do when you want to research a topic is you get the generalities and then you go from there. You don't try to get to the specifics first. It's too hard. So use your general things like a Wikipedia these days. Back in the old days, it would have been World Book, the encyclopedia, the big thick ones. Look into it, get a view of what generally it's about, and then you can go launch off from that because then you'll have all the names and the details that you want to look up. Right now, generalities. So the other thing you can do that I really love as well is you can pick a specific date. Say you want to know September 11th, what happened on September 11th. You can look that up and you'll get a whole list of different things that happened on September 11th by the year. So it's good that way for um, researching. Okay, so closing that out so I don't get distracted and start reading it again. All right, I've been talking to you guys for an hour, almost an hour and a half. So, what would you like to do? Do you want to continue on with me rambling 
would you like me to go find the thing that I found this week in an old book that I was going to read to you, but it's in the other room? Um, because I can go do that, get it, because it's right on the table in the other room. I could play you a cool song that my one of my former students wrote recently about, um, I think I'll do that and I'll go get that book. Let me see if I can find that real quick, that link to that song, because they finally got it produced in a studio. Because um, I want to find that, because they got it finished and it was posted on a link at a radio local radio station so that people can hear it now. And I'll go get that thing I want to read you. And then if somebody wants to come on and talk to me about other stuff going on in other parts of the world, that would be great. So I'm going to see how this works. I've got to leave my phone here so you can hear it. I don't have a studio, so I'm just going to put my microphone near the speaker like I did last time and hope it works. If I lose you, I'll come back, okay? So don't worry. You can't get rid of me that easy. Are you ready? I'm going to, let's see, I'm scared a little bit that it's going to feed back. What I'll do is I'll turn it on. I'll check the chat to see if you see, if you hear it. And then if you tell me you're hearing it, then I will go get the book that has a, an interesting foreword in it that I was going to save for you tonight. I forgot to put on my desk, okay? Does that make sense? So I'm going to start it playing. And if you can't hear it, you're going to tell me so that I don't leave it going without you hearing it. So you're going to tell me if you can hear it, okay? And then I'll talk to you when I get back. How's that? Here we go. Show. 
Well, hopefully you heard that all right. <clears throat> that is um, that was written by Chris Soper, and that was him singing. Um, they did a lot of work on the production. They did several days worth of you know going back and doing vocals over or doing guitar parts over or whatever. But um, he woke up early one morning. He'd been having trouble sleeping, and he wrote that song in ten minutes. And it was just it came out of him, and it was because he'd been thinking about all of the stress that the town was having over the closing of the Bucksport Mill. And um, he'd been on the radio, he'd been interviewed. They did a page spread on him at the Bangor Daily News. Um, I think I played his raw first version that he did, you know, in the middle of the night, basically, on um, that he had put up on his Facebook page. And I believe that's going to be probably the final product. I don't know if they're going to sell it or not, but... Um, it came out pretty good considering that it, a few weeks ago it was just, you know, a kernel of a thought. Um, and I guess what I want to say about that whole thing is that you never know where your little bit of encouragement is going to take somebody. But I believe it was last year when I reconnected with him um, I, because I'd heard some of the music that the band had played that he was in. It was called the Gilpin Railroad Incident. It was a bunch of young people who put this band together, and they were doing different things like see, uh, street dances and stuff like that. Um, and I said, whatever happened? You know, you guys still playing? And he said, no, we don't do that much anymore. And I said, well, you need to keep music going because you guys are good. You need to keep your music going. And the next thing I knew, there was a picture of him 
with his guitar. And the next thing I knew, he had a picture of how he had rearranged a room in his house again to get his place to play his music, to make his, make his little studio again. And then the next thing I see, he's getting his friends together, and they're going to sing. And then the next thing I see is that on the 4th of July, he was going to play in Stonington with his band on the pier. Of course, we had a hurricane come through, so I don't, I don't know if they did it or if they did it two or three nights later. But it just kept going and going. And everybody is putting music back on their plate, and everybody's picking up instruments again. And they're learning instruments, even some of my friends that are older. I think it's a really good thing. Music communicates very well. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see how his uh, his uh, latest goes. He wrote he wrote since then a song which was very beautiful, and I don't know if I can find that, but if I can, I'll play it some other night. But it was like a tribute to his girlfriend, and it was a beautiful love song, which is absolutely great. Okay, so I'm going to give you the um, link to where that song is. It's a radio station called The Wave, and it was just a um, sound file on there. I don't know how long it'll be available, but I'll give you the web page for that if you want to hear that again, or keep it if you have a way to do that. Let's link. Um, I probably should keep it myself, too. Here's the link for the song. Um, and that's the name of it, Small Town America. They're very con concerned about their ta town down there um, because the mill is really the, you know, that's how people earn their living. And it's been that way for generations. In fact, some of my family worked in that mill, previous generation. My dad worked in that mill for a brief time. So. Um, James Ginn saying, music goes straight to the soul, so be aware of what you listen to. I agree with that. I, I think there's more to music than people realize, and it's not. I always thought it was just that I liked it because I grew up liking it. It was in my home, and we all played it. Um, but I think there's a lot more to it because if you think about how you feel when you listen to certain songs um, and how much energy you get from other ones, there are songs I can put on and listen to, and I could, you know, it revives me to the point where I could just like go for like three or four hours after hearing it. Um, so I know that there's something about it. <laughs> I know that there's, some, well, we're vibration, let's face it. We are vibrational beings. <clears throat> Jen Art, yes, we've talked about music before, haven't we? I have a lot of albums too, but I don't have thousands of them. I probably have hundreds of no, maybe not even hundreds. I do love my iTunes, though, because if I get an idea that I want a certain song, I can just go buy it. 99 cents, 99 cents, you know, that kind of thing. So let's see. Um, so what I went to get <laughs> that started this whole thing, I'm in one of those moods tonight, so I don't even know what's going to come out of me. If I listen to this show tomorrow, I'll probably learn from myself because I won't know what came out of my mouth while I was talking. That's just the nature of it. Okay, so this is called To an Anxious Friend. Shoot, I took the book and put it away. I put the book out of out of range of where I'm sitting because it it's old and I think it's got a lot of that book mold in it, and I tend to be allergic to that. So I photocopied this thing I was going to read 
while I was listening to music and I put the book on the other side of the kitchen. <clears throat> so I think it's called something like um, oh, The History of the American People or something like that. And I think it was published oh, 1960 maybe. No, I don't think it's 1960. I don't know the date it was published. I'll have to tell you another time because it's not here. But this this piece that I was just scanning through, I said, I like this. I'm saving this. I'm going to read this to them. So let's see if you can um, get anything out of this. I liked it because it was old, because it came out of a history book. And uh, for the person I was, oh, it's, Actually, wasn't it guest number six that was talking about all the stuff that I get, went on that long rant because I was like nuts out of my mind there for a few minutes? Um, I'll look back through all that stuff later. I feel like I've ignored people, and I didn't mean to do that if I did. Um, this is partially how people would have thought of things. So even if it doesn't ring true with you, um, it shows an, a time period. You know, it's like a little time capsule thing. You can see the difference between then and now, in other words. Okay, to an anxious friend, it says. That's the title of it. But it was in the front of the book like, a, like an introduction. Okay? You tell me that law is above freedom of utterance. And I reply that you can have no wise laws nor free enforcement of wise laws unless there is free expression of the wisdom of the people. And alas, their folly with it. But if there is freedom, folly will die of its own poison, and the wisdom will survive. That is the history of the race. It is the proof of man's kinship with God. You say that freedom of utterance is not for time of stress, and I reply with the sad truth that only in time of stress is freedom of utterance in danger. No one questions it in calm days because it is not needed. And the reverse is true also. Only when free utterance is suppressed is it needed, and when it is needed, it is most vital to justice. Peace is good. But if you are interested in peace through force and without discussion, that is to say free utterance decently and in order, your interest in justice is slight, and peace without justice is tyranny, no matter how you may sugarcoat it with expediency. This state today is in more danger from suppression than from violence because in the end, suppression leads to violence. Violence indeed is the child of suppression. Whoever pleads for justice helps to keep the peace and whoever tramples upon the plea for justice temperately made in the name of peace only outrages peace and kills something fine in the heart of man which God put there when we got our manhood. When that is killed, brute meets brute on each side of the line. So, dear friend, put fear out of your heart. This nation will survive. This state will prosper. The orderly business of life will go forward if only men can speak in whatever way given them to utter what their hearts hold, by voice, by posted card, by letter, or by press. Reason never has failed men. Only force and repression have made the wrecks in the world. And that wrecks is W-R-E-C-K-S. William Allen White, Emporia Gazette, July 27, 1922. 
Um, I like it. It reminds me of the old days. It reminds me of when people started hearing the rap music lyrics and said, that stuff should not be allowed. You should not be allowed to say that. Kill the cops, right? And I had that discussion with my father one night. My father working in radio, of course, he had things that he was not allowed to say on the air when he was on the air. And I said, Dad, and he goes, what? There's no reason they should be having anything like that. What are they doing selling music like that? What are they doing saying those things? Not right. I said, Dad, because what? Would you rather they didn't tell you? Well, it's not right. They shouldn't be saying such things. It's like, you know, it's disgusting. It's violent. Dad, what? What do you think the First Amendment means? Yes, but you shouldn't be saying that stuff. That's just dad. What? Well, even if it's not something you'd want to say just anywhere, wouldn't you rather hear it than not hear it and know that that is in their heart? And that's the way I feel. If someone hates you, wouldn't you rather they tell you? Or would you rather they keep it inside and not tell you until the point where there's a flash and it's over? Because when we were kids, we were taught sticks and stones, right? But words can never harm you. Well, they can harm you if you let them, but they don't have to harm you because they're just words, just how somebody feels. And why can't they tell you how they feel? Why can't they say, I hate your gut. You are an ass. It might not be polite, but if it's true, why can't you say it? Because otherwise, how will they ever know? You know? That's just, that's where the bluntness of truth actually serves a purpose, in my view. Because at the moment when you have the chance to say it and you say it, it has so much more power than if you just hold it in and then later you write some, you know, write a paragraph about it. Okay. So let me go back and see if anybody in here has anything that they would like to uh, bring out or if somebody wants to call in and just talk about anything. I don't care. I didn't save a lot of links this week because... Um, and by really fast, to be honest. I had so much stuff going on. Um, there was a there was an interesting YouTube video I kept. I forget the name of it. Given oh, that was the gray state that I kept the YouTube of. Let's see what else is in here if I've forgotten anything that was important. Um Oh, just the thing about that. Um, I'll go see if somebody's calling in because I don't want to talk about it anymore. I think I've said enough if somebody's calling in. Otherwise, I will do a little bit more and then end. So let's see. I'll go back in here. So John Art and Charles are talking about government again. <laughs> I love you guys. It's just not my thing. I don't 
I mean, I understand that it's important because of what's happened to how we got where we are today. But as far as just, you know, different systems and stuff like that, I just want the truth. That's it. I just want the truth. I want, if we're going to do it this way, and this is the way, you know, if this is it, and we're under the UN, just friggin' tell us. Sorry, that's not a swear word where I grew up. Just freaking tell us um, that this is the way it is. And then we'll decide from there what we want to do about that. But don't lie about it and say, you have a constitution. We're swearing an oath to the constitution. But behind your backs, we're laughing about the fact that you all believe this because we don't really have a constitution. We never did. We never had our independence. We've always been British subjects. And so that's why we kiss the butt of the Queen of England um, and pay all our money into the city of London or whatever. Just tell us the freaking truth, and then we'll decide what we want to do about it. I think people deserve to have the truth. And if they can't take it and it's too much for them and it ruins their Super Bowl talk, then they can ignore it and go sit in the living room on their big sofa and switch channels and complain about the reception on their cable or whatever. I don't care. Tell us the truth, because some of us really do want to know what's going on. And I don't think we should have to, as a matter of our existence on the planet, have to guess. So, I told you I was different. I changed a lot over Christmas. I'm sorry about that if it's too much for you guys, but that's what it is. Okay. Um, Dottie has a link up there, and do I remember? Um, I don't know, Dottie. I think Lost in the 50s, is that music or something? What is that? Because I was born in 51, so most of my most of the things I remember the best are in the 60s. Let me get Charles on here. <clears throat> Hi, Charles. Wait a minute. I clicked the wrong thing. Just a minute. I'll go back and get you. What I did was I clicked on your profile instead of the phone. Hopefully when I close this, I don't, like, go all wacko. That's known to happen. Okay. This time we're going to click on the phone thing. There. Now you're unmuted. Hi. Hi. How are you tonight? Pretty good. How about you? I'm good. I'm a little on a roll, as you probably noticed, but my headache is Yeah, gone. yeah. I had a it's headache good. when I started, so this is a good thing. It means that everybody's, you know, everybody being here helps my headache. Ah, uh, miserable loves company, huh? <laughs> no, I'm not miserable. <laughs> I hope <laughs> well, headache... miserable. Oh, okay, well, well, I'm glad your headache isn't causing you misery. No. All right. Um, you were mentioning something about um, um, oh, the UN, and if we're they're under, if we're under the UN, just tell us. Yeah. Um, and and I love your work generally. Uh, uh, but um, um, it we need to be speaking in terms of our own community, and 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 when when we say things like. We're under the UN. If we're under the UN, tell us that that indicates that they have the right to tell us whether or not we're under the UN. 
the choice of words there, you know? Yeah, I know about choice of words. Boy, do I ever. Well, I knew exactly we, what you were going to say before you even got it out. That's how much I know about words. Yes, I know what you're saying. I get it. Well, yes. you're a librarian. You know words. I mean, yeah, I'm not just a librarian. I also listen to things widely. I mean, I love listening yep. to Kate of Gaia. So, you know. Oh, uh, like, I got problems with that entity. Well, I know you probably do. Everybody has problems with something. But what I'm saying is I think about things on a deep level. So, yeah, I know what you're saying about that. We shouldn't have to ask anybody's permission or be told from anyone else. Um, I get that. I hear you. Thank you. Thank you. Because when we confront these people and, 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 and we finally get an audience with them and we go in there and we start talking to them and we say, we choose words like what you did there, that that, mm-hmm. that empowers them to by the choice of words. What I'm trying to drive towards is a better choice of words would be um, we are not under the authority of the UN. We have not consented to be governed by the UN. Right. And you're invoking UN uh, 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 principles here, and and we haven't consented to be governed by those UN principles. Correct. See, at that point, we throw a hot potato at them. They 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 have they at that point they have a duty to either say, wait a second, we got to sign contract something here, pull out out of the the, the smoke and mirrors box that they keep at at, at their beck and uh, call, uh, but but um, they probably can't do that. And either way, that's a good debate that we can have whether or not we're really under the jurisdiction of the UN. But if if um, um, we, we 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 phrase our words to where um, we're asking them if we're under the jurisdiction of the UN. Then, then they're surely going to say yes, yes, you, you are, and boom, that's you know. Where, where, well, where's that? well, Jean says that um, we belong to the club, so we have to do what they say in the United States because we we've joined the corporation. And I say, no, I didn't. He says Good for I you. did Good because for you. I use it. I don't. Uh, well, I didn't join anything. It's fraud if if I'm part of something that I never said yes to. Yeah, exactly, and 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 fraudulent contracts are unenforceable contracts. They're null and void contracts. Yeah, that's how I feel. I believe. Okay, that. Well, yeah. see, it's more than a feeling. It's an in-their-face confrontation. Yeah, well, I don't have words to talk about what I think about, so that's why I have trouble with that. But I know what you're saying, and I do hear you. I, it's, thank you. It's thank like, you. okay, am I saying hear or listen? Am I saying with ears, or am I saying, you know? audio frequencies, or am I saying it's this many hertz, or am I saying it, you know what I'm saying? It's like the words are difficult when you think in other realms because they don't fit the they don't fit anything. So you have to just try to talk, and you know, I'm not into the mind meld yet. I can't do that yet. But when I do learn how to do that, then I won't need these words anymore. Well, it's, it's a learning <laughs> Spiritual battle, you know, and, and and this gets to the biblical text of John one one, where they use that word in Greek of logos, and they translate that as word. Are you familiar with all that? Um, if I am, it's it's generalized. It's in the background somewhere, not in the specific. No, but I know what logos. I know what logo is. I know what. Yeah, it's it logic. Means, it's a Greek word for it, logic. If it means word in another language. Well, that's how they routinely translate it. That's what I mean. I have so much stuff in my head, 
and some of it relates to language because it was something I had some kind of knowledge of without having to learn it in school. It was something I knew when I was little. Mm -hmm. So for what reason, I don't know. Was I born that way? I don't know. Do I have something in my brain that allows me to do that? I don't know. But from a young age, I understood root words, and when somebody would tell me a brand-new word that I'd never heard before, a lot of times I would know what it meant. So I don't know what that's from. But I just that's why I say I can't really if – I, if I start worrying about what the word means, then I can't even talk anymore. I can't express myself because I get so much stuff on any – it's hard to even describe that. You probably know what I'm talking about. If I read a sentence in a book, sometimes if it's a really good writer, it'll be like reading a page instead of a sentence. Or one or two words will be like a whole scenario, a whole a whole event, and it's just two words they said. So it's kind you of mean hard like, for me to narrow anything down to what somebody thinks they hear me say. Right. Well, well, it, it sounds to me like you're saying that that just a few words can produce profound insights. Depends. It just depends. Yeah. Well, yeah, but they can produce. You were trying to make the point that profound insights can come from just a few words, right? Yes, or one word, or two letters, or or one letter, or no letters, or silence. I mean, if you take somebody who doesn't think that way, they think, what the heck is she talking about? Has she gone off the deep end? Is she crazy? No, it's how my brain works. And that's why when I thought it was somewhat a disability, and some people say, you know, it's ADHD, that you can't focus on anything. I don't think it's a disability. I think it's a talent. I've told many people this that have it. It's a talent. Do you well, realize um, how few people can do that? Well, it's kind of like autism, right? Uh, I don't know. It might be. Well, in, in in normal society, autistic people are quite dysfunctional, but when it comes time to... Um, um, uh, applying their skill set to to a productive purpose, boom, they're stark raving geniuses in that particular yeah. skill set area, and they blow everybody's yeah. doors off. Yeah, I know that, yeah. Well, see, we, we all have a little bit of that. We all have our, our own areas where we're skilled and we know what we're talking about. Yeah, and I, yeah. I understand a lot of those types of things generally because I've had a lot of interest in life, and that was one of the things that I thought I might do was uh, major in psychology. I took a lot of psychology classes because I was interested in them, and I took speech and speech and audiology classes because I thought I might be doing that. Mm-hmm. So, and autism, people didn't even know the word back when I was studying it. <laughs> so I don't know a lot about it in depth because I didn't keep going. But I've had autistic students at school, and they're all individuals. They're all different. You can't generalize anything about an autistic child because they're so different, you know. It's not. It's a label that, in general, describes somebody, but it doesn't specifically describe them because they were all so different. You couldn't put one beside the other and say these two kids are the same. So. That, that's pretty much identical in just about all psychological or physiological yeah. type of diagnosis, isn't it? I mean, they're all unique in their own way. I think everybody's an individual myself. I don't see the need of labels other than for somebody's convenience. So. Well, general categories. I mean, there's tall people and short people and, right. and, and 
um, you know, that's useful data to know whether people are tall or short or autistic or uh, things like that. But that all of this is useful data, don't you think? No. Pardon me? <laughs> no. Um, that's why I just said, why would it be useful? Um, it might be useful if you're designing beds and you want to make sure they can lay down on it or, you know, but in general, mm -hmm. I, I don't think labels are used that way. And I don't think that quantifying everything in life is worth it. So it's one of my pet peeves is that things are quantified. But so, you know, databases are a source of uh, political horsepower. What are? Databases are a source of political horsepower. Yeah, and I hate them for that reason. That's one of the reasons well, I hate them. Well, at that point, you, this is the same argument that the anti-gun people use. That, um, and they want to have gun people go out and um, um, arrest people with guns because uh, the other people, the, the innocent uh, civilians, are, are using guns for their own self-defense. You know, you can't abolish guns. They're there. The gun isn't the problem. The problem is the way the people use it. Well, with anything... It's the way well, the same with databases, though, is my point. It doesn't matter if it's a gun or not, or a database, or a glass of milk. It's how you use it. Right, right. So the problem isn't with the database, like what you said earlier. Um, it depends on how you ask me. See what I mean? I can't really get into that, the language things and the words and stuff like that, because it sounds like I can't. I know what it sounds like. It sounds like I can't be pinned down to anything. That's not really true. It's because I see it from so many different angles that you can say that this is true. Yeah, for this case it is. This case it's not. I don't like quantification because I don't find it valuable. I find it harmful. And I hate computer databases because of it. Because most of the time they're not correct. And when you base something on something that's not correct, you have a bad outcome. You know that garbage in, garbage out thing? I've lived yeah, it, so uh, that's why I say it with conviction. Um, you can say, well, we put all this stuff in the database, and here's the record. Well, the record is, in, is incorrect. Therefore, somewhere along the line, the entries were incorrect, and so your result is wrong. Your, your um, conclusion is wrong. And yeah, that's, that's in the bad guys' database. Not even bad guys, just people that don't really are not careful. Or I, I'm sorry, my database is good, Ginger. My database is, my database is real good and solid, and it don't have any errors, and it don't come to any bad conclusions against and any what's innocent in it? people. And what's in well, it? Well, it, it's kind of in my head, but I, that's not the point. The point is, I got a good database, and anybody that that is 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 um 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 vigilant about how they use words in an honorable and respectful and patriotic manner can have the same kind of a database. It's like having a good gun that, that is only used for keeping peace. I'm trying to make sense out of that. That doesn't mean a thing to me. What you just said I don't get. I don't understand what you're saying. Well, I love you dearly, but um, does the word anarchy mean anything to you? Of course. Well, is there? Um, uh, do you uh, do, do you consider the word anarchy to mean uh, lack of conformity with law? I don't think of it as a negative. If that's what you mean. I, I'm not. I, I'm uh, negative or positive is is beyond the realm of this question. I'm just. Okay. Do you, you, Say it do you again. believe in? Do do you believe that that there are certain laws that human beings should abide by? Certain laws that human beings should abide by. 
Are yes. we talking about in the sense of how we were raised and brought up in society? Or are you talking about in the sense of the upper realms of thinking of people that are living on the planet Earth? I, I'm how talking about. Of it? I'm As talking about not can. breaching the peace. I'm talking about refraining from uh, swinging your fist so far that it starts to endanger somebody else's face. Okay, here's my here's my view of this. Maybe it answers the question, maybe it doesn't. I don't believe a person has broken the law unless they have caused harm to a person or someone's property, harm, damage to a person's property or the person. Other than that, I don't believe that they've created any breach of any law. Okay, well, that's the essence of common law. We all got liberty unless we've caused a breach of the peace. Anarchy, to me, would mean the absence of government more than the absence of law. Am I wrong about the word? I think so. Okay, because I think of anarchy as in without government, similar to atheists being without a deity, without God. Well, let's try to keep it simple by not cluttering it up with... Well, see, it's not cluttering to me. I don't understand that. Well, if you bring in too many factors in the equation, the equation gets too complex for an intelligent mind even to solve. Well, I don't I don't care about the equations or the solving, I guess. Maybe that's you don't, where it is. Can I quote you on that, Ginger? You don't care about solving the equations. Is that right? I don't even know what the equation's about. I don't even know why that's we have an made equation. It, it's, confusing by bringing in the religious issue when we were talking about just anarchy and government. You were talking about anarchy and government. I thought we were having a question. I thought we were having a two-way conversation there. Only you're talking to somebody who doesn't think in those terms, so it's difficult. It would be like me talking to you about something that you have no background in or care about. I don't understand why you're talking about it even. And I'm not trying to be mean or anything. I'm just saying I don't relate to it. I don't understand what you're getting at. Well, you've got some great instincts, and I love listening to your show and the people that hang around you, and and, and you got my highest respect. But um, um, there's times where I think you're a little bit difficult to work with there, sister. Well, in what way, though? I mean, am I supposed to be working with you? Well, there's a battle between the forces of good and evil on this planet. I agree. Okay, well, and and to take it to the religious realm, all people that are on the good side need to be making sincere, humble efforts to try to work together in mutually respectful manner so that good can prevail over the forces of evil. I agree. Well, that requires conformity with norms of behavior which can be relabeled as laws? Norms of behavior are not the same as laws to me. Well, I dare say you could expand your definition I of mean, law. I mean, like, I wouldn't go down the street and just do whatever I feel like and say that I'm fine doing that. So I believe that people can control their own behavior and that they're in charge of controlling their own behavior and they should be controlling their own behavior. But as long as I'm not harming anyone in any way, they should leave me alone. So that's why, you know, I feel like that's at least libertarian. Yeah, I'm not hurting anyone. They should leave me alone. They shouldn't be harassing me about anything. 
I consider myself a libertarian, and um, um, I believe libertarianism is a mere image of common law because it's all based upon liberty. See, common law is what's called negative law. There's a phrase called positive law that's much more popular in statutory realms, but but negative law is what common law is about, and what that means is that um, common law doesn't, go out and tell people what to do. It waits, and it's silent until somebody comes forth with a complaint saying that uh, Joe Blow breached the peace of I me. I yeah, so, 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 so it doesn't go out and tell people what to do until somebody makes a complaint. Then, at that point, there's a moving party before the court bringing forth a complaint. And at that point, the 12 people in the jury need to unanimously agree whether or not Jack stated uh, a, a legitimate complaint against Joe, or if Jack is just blowing smoke and whining. Yep, I agree. Well, see, that's common law due process, and that's the essence of libertarian philosophy too. Because you, 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 uh, if if um, if if you're not creating any act of aggression, then that's within the definition of liberty, and people got the right to do whatever the heck they want, so long as they're not. Um, engaging in any in any act of aggressive violence against some other free sovereign human being. Yeah, I knew well, we agreed. Sure, it's I'm just, sure it has something to do with semantics and uh, um, why I have a hard time communicating with you. Because when you say something as a direct statement, I can tell you that I agree with most of it, but when you say other stuff, I'm like, what are you talking about? I can't get on that wavelength. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. And I certainly, you know, respect myself enough not to just, you know, say anything that I feel like it. Uh, I feel like, and it just comes off the top of my head, because I think yeah, yeah, that, but... you know, in my way of of thinking, I respect you enough not to make fun of a question that you ask me, but if I don't understand it, what am I supposed to do? Well, that, that's good, and we can take baby steps. I don't mind if, if there's sincere... Um, but I mean uh, equations. What uh, To me, an equation is like algebra with, you know, a math thing, and it's just too far from my way of thinking or being. I just don't get it, so I can't respond to it. How can I answer that? doesn't mean I don't want to work with you or I don't care, but I'm not where I was. I don't work with anybody, really. I do my own thing, and the reason I do that is because I find it more effective. Well, and certainly. I think that we are making progress, and I think there's an awful lot of good people around doing things that are making huge progress. And I agree that um, we need to win. We're going to win, though. I know we're going to win. I don't have any doubt about it. I don't sit there and say, oh, my gosh, the forces of evil are going to take over the earth. I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, do you have a God concept? Yes. Okay. I talked to God. Were you, you weren't here at the beginning tonight, were you? No, no, I wasn't. You weren't? Okay, well, let me just tell you if I can find that again. Here's one of the paragraphs that I read, because the people that were here before, they heard it, so they don't need to hear the whole thing again. So let me just read you the part that I got to. That was, I said, okay, so a saw was put up for sale on Craigslist, and it brought a response late last, last night. Thank you, God. And the person came today to get it. Thank you, God. 
He bought it for the price we asked. Thank you, God. And on top of all of this, the man who came was a godsend in other ways in the reminders and messages I got from his visit. That was one of the paragraphs of the thing I read that I just wrote this afternoon. I absolutely have a God concept. I talk to God every day. That sounds good. Um, um, is there um, is is your mental and spiritual um, mode of processing data um, um, capable of merging um, your God concept with your concerns about social justice and um, addressing I've lived people? it since I was a kid. Pardon me. I've lived it since I was a child, probably four or five years old. Okay, well then, our only remaining task is to just get the words in the right order so that these metaphysical religious motivating forces can be used in a in a, in a manner to produce the secular, uh, earthly, social justice concerns that we desire. I do it every day. That's what I do. Okay. I don't understand about getting the words in order, though. That'll never happen with me because I won't be able to think about the words in order. You don't have to think about them in order if, if 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 they're second nature to you. They are second nature to me. Well, some of them, though, I dare say, could be um, uh, a bit more efficient in um, um, producing the desired results in the social justice, secular, earthly realm. Could be. Well, that's why I'm here talking to you, sister. You know, I had um, I had a tenant. Like last year, I think it was, it was somebody who, I don't even know if his real name was being used because, frankly, I don't know where he came from. It was like he arrived from another planet. But um, the most unusual person I'd ever met in my life, I talked about him on here before, he um, he read a ton of things. He was really smart. He claimed he was a lawyer. I think he probably was, but I don't know if he was a lawyer like in a law firm at some point or a lawyer who just studied on the law and, you know, passed his exams or whatever at some point. But he's very hard to trace. He's gone again. I don't know where he went. Um, he's just a very unusual man. And he told he told me straight out, he says, you need to be calling into the, um, you know, the shows that are on, these um, shows where you can call in. And you need to say these certain words. You need to, like, write something down. You need to get an idea about it, and you need to call into these places. And I said, why? He says, because those are the only people that will listen to you. And I said, I don't agree with that. He says, well, I know that's how I know that's how you'll get listened to because that's what people do. And I just was, like, looking at him like, what? You know what I mean? It's like, how how would you know that for sure? How would you yeah, know yeah, it's, what you're saying for sure? It would be like me telling you how you should do something. And why do you think I should do what you're saying? I mean, I just find that really strange. Yeah, it is really strange. And 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 you can take it directly to the individual people like you do on your show. You don't have to go to other people and other gurus to try to persuade them. Jesus didn't do it that way. Jesus went directly to the people. He didn't go to other gurus and um, try right. to persuade them. And my whole thing, and I don't know if you know any of this stuff. Maybe you don't. 
some of the people that are here know because I've talked about it before because I have some people in the chat right now who are very strong evangelical type people. They're, that's what they do. They, they love Jesus. They talk about Jesus. They talk about the Bible. Um, I, am, I am just very different to that. Um, I, I believe that people should be emulating Jesus. They should be trying to live life like Jesus. But do I go and tell people what they should believe? No, I don't. Because I don't think that's my place in life. I think everyone comes to their own conclusions of what they believe, especially spiritual things. And certainly when they're in their 60s, they're not going to change their minds suddenly and become something else. You know, the, the point is that when I was a child, a lot of my views were already starting to be formed then. And I always felt like I should be doing these things. Um, and when people say, well, so are you Christian? I say, I'm Christian in my own way. I'm Christian because I follow what Christ's teachings were. I try to be like Christ would be. But, you could be more assertive there. You could say but yes. I am, I'm not a Trinitarian. So Which, I don't. I'm not either. But but I don't I, 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 do the, the things that people who say they are Christians do. So I was told when I was young that I was not a Christian because I was a Unitarian. That that was a liar that was talking to you. See the 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 big the the the, the phrase Christian just means follower of the teachings of Christ. That's what it means. And 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 to to be more assertive, I dare say you could be. Uh, you could when when people like you, uh, uh, or people people that like you talked about that, that say that you're not a Christian. You see, courtroom environments are like this. You say you confront them. You say you're wrong. Your 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 complaint against me is unjustifiable and untruthful, and and at that point they'll go, well, wait a second, you're not a Trinitarian, and at that point you come back at them and you say, Jesus, the word Trinity is not in the New Testament anywhere. Well, um, I don't, I, but see, I don't even do that because why would I do that? It's not my place to tell people what they should believe. They're telling you you're not a Christian. Why? You're just doing self-defense here. Yeah, but the thing is, I don't consider, maybe I might have done that when I was younger, but I don't now because I don't feel like I have all the answers to anything. You're smarter than your opponent. I am still seeking. I am You're smarter than your opponent. Always. Pardon me? I'm always seeking. I don't think anyone has the answers. Ooh, wait, 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 when you're beyond, confronted by a liar that's telling you you're not a Christian, when you know that you are, uh, you're no longer seeking. You 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 have a duty to stand up and tell people that they're 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 lying about you. Yeah, but I don't consider it lying. I wouldn't put it that way. They're, they're saying you're not a Christian. That goes right to the heart of God. It's it's between them and God. That's my opinion. It, it, it involves you. They're lying about you in front of God. I don't take it that way. Well, you're being too kind, sister. No, I'm not being too kind. Trust me when I say I'm not kind when people are attacking. I would not be kind, no. I just, you know, it's not something that I care to argue about, so I don't. But when someone says, you know, they're offended by this, they're offended by this, they're offended by this, and I've talked to Jameskin about this before, too, because Jameskin is very strongly Christian, um, and it's hard because, I I have a lot of love and respect for people, and I care what they think about, and I want to know what they think about, and they do talk to me about stuff, and it's been like that. I mean, I used to be the president of my youth group. I was very interested in 
these types of things from a young age. We had conferences. We talked about all kinds of things. We had a conference on whether or not God was dead. Do you remember that Time Magazine article, Is God Dead? That was like in the 60s, I think. We had a conference at our church, a youth conference, that we organized just to have people come and talk about whether or not they thought God was dead because of what was going on in the world, those kinds of things. You know, to really think about things deeply and not just go to church and recite things. But I grew up in a Catholic town. I did all kinds of things with Catholics. Um, I just, I don't think that arguing about religion is productive in any way. I don't think that it's something that I need to do because I have my relationship with God already. And it's not up to me to decide what yours is or what anyone else's is. And that's just how I feel about it. I don't get into those arguments. So, well, arguing yeah. arguing is more of a masculine than a feminine thing. Well, I argue about things like issues, but to me, that's not an issue because no one has the final word. No one knows. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Yeah, yeah, someone, yeah. So your words aren't someone, true, there. Should... Someone told us about that. Pardon me. Someone told us about that. Someone taught us. We've got historical evidence. If we read between the smoke and mirrors deception of the the obscured history, if we if we do our homework diligently, we can find clear and convincing evidence beyond a reasonable doubt so as to prove that there was a a, a profound figure that existed two thousand years ago that preserved the cause of truth and justice and libertarian common law type principles so that people could live together on this planet in peace. Where did you read that? I deciphered it from long, hard studies of history. Mm -hmm. There's... there's uh, are you familiar with Christian identity theology? No. I, if I am, I don't know that I am. Because honestly, my thing of, that I'm hearing from you is that you learned it because you studied it. Yeah, yeah. Is there something well, you could have. No. I'm just saying that you could study on anything, but still another person wrote it. No, no, no. It's like reading data about uh uh the moon or the sun or something you know there's scientific consensus on 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 certain things that are are be, the, the it's beyond a reasonable doubt it's not just somebody's opinion i'm just saying that things that are written down or things that come from other people aren't always reliable that's all i'm saying you know, you choose what you want to believe. I'm not saying don't. I'm not saying don't. But I have learned that we could be deceived about everything. Every single thing could be a deception. All of it we were taught, every last thing. In your heart, though, you know what's right and wrong. You already well, then, know that. But you don't really well, if we be told this is okay and that's not okay because you already know what's not okay. Well, you you stated two propositions there that I think there's some conflict between them. Okay. You know, either we can make decisions about what's right and wrong, or we can't. It sounds like your choice of words there is in conflict 
on that point. It's what I believe. I, you know, and it's from thinking about Which one? Can you make decisions? And also from studying that people have been told a lot of things that they believed and thought were true. They've been told it. They've been taught it. Well, how, that how about how about that, that it's true just because they were taught it or that they read about it doesn't mean it's true. Well, how about a quick little exercise? Do you think a a a a, a twelve person jury of sincere and humble uh, uh, people that are sincerely searching for justice can clearly arrive at a consensus of what is um, justifiable? Uh, justice with regard to any kind of controversy that somebody claims a breach of the peace has happened yeah. and another person denies it? Yeah, because they're sitting right there. The okay, well, and 12 people unanimously agreeing on it, and they're all of generally good reputation, that produces a, a type of community-based consensus that can reasonably be presumed to be in the interest of truth and justice, right? The 12 people in a jury deciding about a case. Yeah, and and they come to a unanimous verdict one way or the other. That's in the present time frame. That's when it happens. But you're talking about things that happened, you know, a long time ago, written down and told or told to people, written down or told to people that may or may not have occurred. Well, I was you trying don't have to just any way of knowing that unless you were there yourself. You don't know if it's true. Um, what about fossils? You look at fossils. Do you think that that that, that maybe there was some actual life forms that made that fo- those fossils a uh, hundred thousand years ago? Possible. You were there though, Ginger. I said possible. I didn't say absolute, did I? What? I said see, possible. See, see. Somebody could have made them and put them there. Uh-huh. It's a big conspiracy. Yeah. I, I, no, geez. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that I you don't know for sure. I'll you see. At this say, point, I start to wonder if you're probable. You could say I, I start likely, to wonder sometimes you if you're a closet. If I'm what? Uh, if you're a closet anarchist. A closet anarchist. That's funny. <laughs> I was hoping you'd take it kindly. Well, I, I don't mean well, to criticize. You have to realize that I worked with junior high kids, so I can take most anything, because those kids Uh-oh. don't care what they say. Um, <laughs> and it was pretty shocking working with kids that age. But, um, no, I, I don't – It is. I'm not saying it just to be argumentative. What I'm saying is that I've come to this conclusion that we believe an awful lot of things that we have no real firsthand knowledge are true. We We are told they're true, and we probably believe they're true because – it was taught over a long period of time, and many people believe it, but it doesn't mean it is true. Well, I, I'm, I'm similarly apprehensive to the point of paranoia about accepting anything as locked-down truth. But but there, there there's reasonable presumptions. You know, we don't want to be frozen in inactivity because um, we can't trust 100% things that we could move forward with 99% confidence. It's like piloting a ship along a rocky, narrow uh, uh, canal area or something between islands. And um, if there's a good pilot and he's watching carefully for rocks and stuff and going slow, he should be able to get the ship through there without any damage. 
And, and that's kind of the point we are in our modern society. And if we get good people together and we start moving forward as a unit that's working together, we can start making some good progress. Correct. So where is the problem? The problem is... The problem is we're not organized as a cohesive unit working my together. My thing is we're not working as individuals. So there's where our discrepancy is between our two viewpoints on that. You're thinking we need to all work together as a team, you don't, like all huh? with the same, all with the same ideas and the same rules, and we work together as a team and go forward. And my idea is we work like the 12-member jury, which is that we sit there independently, our 12 minds working, and as individuals we arrive at what we should be doing. Well, which is I, I really like. We we can build consensus around your, what you just said about the 12 persons working together. Because that is a team, in in my words. But but they've got all the liberty that that, that you're instinctively trying to defend there. Uh, well, the thing is, I don't know if people get what I'm saying because I hear I, I get it, and I hear this little piece in there, and I'm thinking, no, that's not really it. Um, I think that many different times when I've been talking about different um, situations in the world. I've said at this show, because this is the place where I get to say what I think, because nobody ever listens to me anywhere else. Um, <laughs> but they do here for some reason. These people, for some reason, I just love them. Why they come back, they must get something out of it, which is what I wanted to do. So that's good. Well, you're you're but, doing the heavy lifting here. That, that's but why the, I, thing, the thing that I say very, very often, and I say it over and over again, and sometimes I say it and it makes me sad because I know that people want me to do something different, but I'm not going to is that I feel that I'm most effective by myself doing what I think is right because I've done the other stuff. I've done those things. I have tried those. I've worked hard doing those things, getting together with other people and going forth. And uh, it didn't work as well. And I think there's a reason for that is that it's just you're not really doing your thing when you, do, when you join someone else to do something with a group. Um, and you can go in and out of a group if you want. You can, you know, help out a group. You can um, offer help in other ways, like if you know things, you can help them that way. But as far as joining forces and going forth, I think that's a weakness. I don't think that works. And that, and I don't know how really to explain it other than to say that I feel that the strongest thing you can do in terms of a of you know, solving problems, huge problems like we have right now in society, are that individual people with good hearts who have looked at the situation, have um, educated themselves, hopefully, so they know the broad aspects of it, not just the things they want to see because they hope it'll be that way, but actually look at everything, the good and the bad, like a juror would do, um, make a decision independently and go forth from there. So they're starting from the individual and not from the group. The kind of it's what the UDA is. That's what the UDA probably was telling me way back then when I picked the name, that you observe, orient, decide, and act, that you you figure out what it is that you could do and then go do it. And in my case, it's, you can talk. 
because you've talked your whole life. People tell you be quiet. You know, you just be quiet and listen for a minute. Um, so the thing I could do was talk and bring attention. Another thing I could do was individually approach the people that I knew that were in positions that could maybe do something to get them to do something and influence them that way. I could write letters. I could make comments. I could be in the right place at the right time. I could show up and offer support for somebody doing something if I was available to do it, you know, if it was possible. Like, for example, go sit with somebody at court, right? Or um, go and help somebody go and fill out forms somewhere to assist them so that they could solve their problems. But as far as joining up with a group to go do things, I would never do that again. I saw it backfire. I saw it come down badly on people, and I would just never do it again. It's like, what are you going to do? Sign up for something, then your name's on it. Oh, here's the 25 people doing this. We'll take them all out, and then we'll get rid of them. We don't have to worry about them anymore. We'll take out the leadership, and then that group won't be there anymore. That's what I've seen happen. I've seen groups infiltrated that I've belonged to by people who didn't have the same goals and they come in and they pretend they do, and then they take it down. And it's just, to me, it's um, not a very strong way to go forth because it's too easy to stop the, you know, the outcome that you want. And everybody individually doing what they know they can do will, I think they'll have a better effect because, for one thing, it's very hard for the people trying to take them down to know where they are or what they're doing because there's too many of them and it's not organized. It's like they operate. It's holographic in a way because you take out one or two things and it's still going to go because the other people have also arrived at the same, you know, the same conclusion of what they want to happen. You know, you want to restore the United States? How are you going to go about doing that? Well, one of the most powerful tools at our fingertips is itemized in the Seventh Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. That would be a unanimous 12-person common law jury trial verdict. Um, and it wouldn't take much. A self-evident uh, issue, like um, um, was 911 perpetrated by Bush and Cheney and Rumsfeld? Yes, no. We need 12 signatures saying yes. We can move forward with that. That would significantly empower the 911 truth movement. Similarly, uh, 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 profound issues around which our community has pretty much consensus, like um, is is the present government of uh, uh, the nation of Israel in harmony with uh, the, the 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 true laws that were set forth in uh, the the Old Testament part of the Bible, the Torah laws, I think we could build consensus around, no, that's an unlawful government of Israel. Um, similarly but with is U.S. That up to, is that up to us to decide in the United States as individuals what Israel does or doesn't do or their structure over there? Um, for purposes of uh, U.S. foreign aid and military support, um, yes, it is our our business. Okay, I don't agree with that, but that's okay. Well, how else are we going to stop the U.S. foreign aid and 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 military aggression support that that we're given to that corrupted government over there? 
I don't think it's our responsibility. So if I was the president, we wouldn't be doing it. Or in, you know, right, right, right. But we got to stop it. See, this is outside of what I ever even think about. So I can't really say too much about it. Well, how are we going to stop the evil on the planet unless we start working together to try to do stuff exposing to speak out against the system itself, which is what Pardon I've me? been working on. By Pardon exposing me? the system itself and the corruption, which is what I've been working on. Well, Not there's more powerful me, ways to produce more powerful things. results. Um, are you av- are you aware of the work of Abel Danger? Yeah, yeah, I like him. Okay, well, did you listen to it at all this week? No, no, I've been pretty well tuned out. Okay, well, Field is uh, Field McConnell is. Um, I don't know if it happened yet or not, but he was very hopeful on um, Wednesday when he was talking yesterday afternoon that the sale of the ranch in Texas is going to go through, which is um, a project he's been working on for veterans. It's going to be. Um, it's a. It's a nice ranch. It's like a resort type place. I forget the name of it right now. Maybe Desert Pete or James Kim remembers the name of it. Um, but he was feeling really hopeful about it. Um, there will be a studio there for the for the radio programs. He's going to be going over to England on March 1st and be interviewed. He was interviewed this past week or so. It might have been the previous Friday. Not sure. Um, on a a radio program out of the United Kingdom. And during the course of that interview, he pretty much called out the royal family and uh, David Cameron and others. So the people there were pretty surprised that he would bring that up because it's not something they do. (laughs) They don't criticize David Cameron and the royal family when they live in the United Kingdom. But Field brought it up, and it was um, he talked about all the stuff to do with the automatic, I mean, the autopilot, the Boeing autopilot, uninterruptible autopilot, and how um, airliners are being taken out of the sky electronically to kill people and also to make a lot of money on insurance. And um, also about, because I didn't think he would go this far, but he did. He talked about the, um, I forget what the abbreviation for it is, but the system that incapacitates the passengers uh, renders them unconscious, and I believe it can actually render them so unconscious that they might die. But anyways, I'm not sure how bad it could go, but can render all the passengers unconscious anyway um, that in these airliners, and whether or not people, you know, should be informed of these things. You know, it's it's like um, people are playing games with your life like you're a pawn on a chessboard and um and people and other people just laugh and say that it, it couldn't possibly be true it's ludicrous it's a conspiracy theory and it's not it's the facts so right you know um to me that's where my energy needs to be is with well the exposure and she... of the system itself which is corrupt and how uh, people that don't have any right control what goes on on the planet are just taking it and they're taking it they're taking that power and authority over people have you got an update on how field's lawsuit is coming i know he was filing a lawsuit he files lawsuits he does it 
I think, has a way to uh, bring attention to things more than that he actually yeah, goes yeah, through. Yeah, it. lawsuits are excellent vehicles for bringing attention to things, and that's what you were talking about is you want to bring attention to things, right? Well, yeah, it's one of the things. Also, the other thing about um, Kaplan Ranch, Desert Pete just put it in the chat. He put a link to it. Um, the other thing that I really like and consider to be genius work and I I say that meaning every word of it, genius work. He um, he developed a technique. He says if he dies, it's what he wants to be known for, which is I believe he called it Google baiting. It's Google something, but I think it's Google baiting, which is that no matter what you type in about a topic, it brings up able danger again. It will bring you back to what happened rather that you can't just like go on Google and type in all these things and have um, you know like the mainstream fake stories you're going to get what actually happened because it's, he, he's put it in all the writings he's put it in everything so that when you Google search you it comes back to them again able danger so that was one of them and the other thing is that as these things happen which because of all the the um, global intelligence, as we call it. It's a global intelligence network. Working as volunteers, mind you, put all all these things together from the various things that we know because we have a little piece of it. Um, <clears throat> he tells about what's going to happen or predicts what's going to happen. And if it happens, take credit for that you predicted it. If it doesn't happen, oh, well, you've caused it to be averted, which could be seen as deceptive in a way if you're looking at it from the view of just the general public. But if you're looking at it from the view of the people that are doing it, the ones that are using it for evil means, um, it's like, crap, how did they find that out? How did they learn that? How did they know that was going to happen? You know what I mean? It's like, say they have a plan to take out Sears Tower, which is now, I guess, Willis Tower in Chicago. And Abel Danger sees that it looks like that's what's happening because this happened, this happened, this happened, and this happened. So it looks like they're next going to work on Chicago, working them over for whatever reason. So they put out a threat window on this date, this time period. We think there could be an attack on Willis Tower right? How do you know that? Same way they do it. It's because we have a bunch of people that say, hey, we noticed this, this, and this. It looks like something's going to happen in Chicago, right? So he posts that. This is a threat window. If it happens, well, look, we told you it was going to happen because of this, 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 and this. If it doesn't happen, well, we averted it because we drew attention to this, 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 and this. Despite the fact whether it did or didn't happen, it doesn't matter because the people that are reading about it or studying on it, they see it and they go, hey, this, 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 and this happened. And now they know about that. So the, the, whole, the whole thing has been exposed by little bits here and there, by predictions, by his letters and his filed lawsuits years ago, some of them like 2006, 2007, saying if you don't take care of this problem with the uninterruptible autopilot and the electronic and the ability for someone evil to use this system to hijack airplanes and crash them or whatever, 
take them off course, kill the people on board. If you don't do something about this, right, you're going to have future incidents. And what have we had? Several of them. He's telling people things that they already know. The people right. in control already know that right. they are, 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 have uh, systems that can be taken over by evil men to murder innocent people. They because, don't care because they're a bunch of Christians that have sold out humanity for um, a, a, a pot of stew. And the reason they know is because they're doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's self-evident. So, you know, I, I, I love Field. He, he does profound work, no doubt, but his chessboard strategy, to my mind, is a little bit less than optimal. It could use some fine-tuning. It needs more activity in the courts, which bring it right down to a real decisive issue. Well, he's been to court, you know, before. I know, but he hasn't been that? doing it. Did you know that he's had people, um, well... The thing is that going to court, when you have somebody that is being thwarted, like many people are when they go to court, it's like, yeah, right, you don't get anywhere. So, yeah, it drew attention somewhat, and it maybe made a few of them say, hey, wait a minute, you know, we're getting too much spotlight shown on us. But they never go to jail, you notice. They never go to jail. They never are brought up on charges or anything. And so they continue on, and they do whatever they want. Well, yeah, that's that's the corrupted court system. We're talking about doing something better, superior, a better package, right. a better process. But to think that you could take Field McConnell and do something more streamlined is like not even realistic because there's no possible way that he would ever do it. He wouldn't ever participate in anything like that. However, when why, why, Malaysia, why, why? when the Malaysian why? plane disappeared, why wouldn't he do it? because it's not his temperament or personality whatsoever. He would not even be interested in anything like that. But they Why? Had, it was better results. Uh, he went over to Malaysia, and he met with the people about their missing airliner that supposedly was God knows where, at the bottom of the ocean maybe, but they weren't sure. He went over there and talked to them about what happened with that airliner. And for whatever reason you know, whatever reason, whatever was hanging over these people's heads, they didn't do anything about it. And they lost another one, didn't they? And uh, Or maybe it's the same one. Who knows? And then um, every time another airliner goes missing or crashes like that, he brings up again, these people over here were notified. These people over here were notified. This one was sent a letter on this date. He tracks everything. He puts everything on. He puts his phone number on. You can call him right now if you want to. He'll talk to you right now on the phone. Um, and so all you have to do is point and say, on this date I notified all these people, and they didn't do anything, and so now 1,500 people are dead, or now there's 1,800 people that are dead. And <laughs> I think it's genius myself, but, you know, well, he could go and sit in court, but... What good is that going to do? Their courts are corrupt. I'm not talking about going and sitting in court. I'm talking about taking control of the court and, and turning it on its head. Well, he's not in control of the court. Oof. He could be. He could be. He could be. He could be. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, this kind of power is in the Seventh Amendment. Yes, but you're you're not hearing the other part of what I said. There's no other part than the Seventh Amendment. Yeah, there is. There's the person's motivation towards what they want to do in their own life, which is he would never do what you're saying. So he would never do that. 
even if I, I disagree. I, I, I've studied Field pretty closely. I think he might do what I'm talking about. It needs to have different words than Call what you're using. Call him up. Huh? Tell you. Call him up. Well, then. well, well. I've I've tried communicated with him. Um, um, his his regular show there seems quite tightly controlled, and I'm apprehensive that he would not give me an audience. I haven't received a phone number for calling him directly. Um, well, I can tell you his phone number. Well, that sounds good. Seriously, uh, he he. I'm telling you right now, his personality is not anything like what people think it is. I I I I have my own opinion of his personality, and I dare say that that your opinion is different than mine. That's okay. I like it when people have different opinions. I value that. Okay, here it is. It's seven one five three zero seven. Open up so I can get all of it. Eight two two two. And that's right. your cell phone. All right. Um. Yeah. He talks to anybody anytime. His phone will go off. It plays Hawaii Five O theme music. Okay. Um. Uh, I'll plan on giving him a call. I appreciate that insight, Ginger. Or Gen- yeah. yeah his, Ginger. His his um. The thing that I think that he's most focused on right now is uh, that ranch, and also to um, continue educating people about the fact that. Um, Circo is running our world with their electronic systems and that there are people with the ability to um, take over those systems for bad means who are doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's for either getting rid of people that are a problem to them or collecting insurance money. Those are the things that he has been working on the most that I can think of right now. Maybe other people in the chat would say that they've heard other things, but that's mostly what I've heard. And yes, I do call him Chipsy. <laughs> Somebody put in the chat. She calls him Chipsy. Yes, I do, because he's Agent Chips, and I'm Agent Ginger Cookie. So that's my able danger name. <laughs> that's okay. what Ginger comes from. It's Ginger Cookie. It's not my real name. <clears throat> but now there's a lot of things going on different different areas of life. That's why I have a hard time because I've got that stuff going through my head and the dot connecting, that's where everything actually started for me getting involved with people in other areas of the world or whatever, is because when I heard Field and David Hawkins, Field McConnell and David Hawkins speaking on Raylan Allen's show, do you know Raylan? Rumor Mill yeah. News? Yeah. yeah. I loved listening to her. I don't know how I found that. I think I happened upon it one day and they were talking. And I heard them talking about September 11th, and I was like, I know about that. And then they were talking about some other stuff, and I was like, I know about that, too. I could add something to that. I know about this stuff. And so I listened to it for a while, and it was bothering me a lot because I kept thinking, you know, if we could just expose these people. At the time, I thought somebody would do something about it, that there would be law enforcement that would come in and deal with these people that were corrupt people and criminals and haul them out. It never crossed my mind that our Marines wouldn't take care of this problem, (laughs) you know. It never crossed my mind. I was so angry at the beginning when I started working with with, um, that group and, and giving them things that I knew about that related to September 11th first. That was my most important thing. 
that's what really started to wake me up about theft was September 11th, along with a lot of other people. Um, I was like so infuriated that I was looking for Marines to ask them what the heck was wrong with them, direct action to their face. In other words, go out to the recruiting center and say, what, what is going on? You're not doing anything about this? Look what they did. They did this, this, and this, and you're not doing anything? What the heck? What's it going to take, you know? And then I found out that our military also has a lot of corruption in it, and it just blew my mind. I could not imagine that could be true. But it is true. We you have know a really lot of way around traitorous that. people at the top, very traitorous. Can I answer some comments, Ginger? Yeah. Thank you. Wound up. Well, see, that's why communication sometimes breaks down. But um, um, there's there's mechanisms available through law for um, bringing good-hearted people with noble ideas together to remedy the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of that... They should do. Pardon me? That's what they should do. The people that know how to do it and want to do it should be working on that. I agree with that part. Okay, well, the people that know how to do it and want to do it need other people to sign on in support of what they're doing. Sign on where? The jury trial verdict. Twelve signatures are needed on it. Twelve signatures are needed on the jury trial verdict. Where is that? Well, it can be worked up and and custom-tailored to whatever issue we can build consensus around. 911, Israel? So it's still in the thought process, right? It's not actually a a thing, a reality thing, a literal thing. Well, it's more important. In other words. It's more important to have the 12 people ready to go than it is, that can all comprehend the value than any particular issue that we decide on. There's a hundred different issues that we could talk about that we could issue jury trial verdicts in support of. The more important thing is to start getting the process up and running so that we can begin using the authority of the Seventh Amendment to assert the people's conscience in response to these evils that we're confronting. And there's millions, hundreds of millions, right, of Americans out there. So all you need is 12 of them, right? Right. All right. So I guess that's it then. Find 12 people. You willing to sign on? I'm not willing to sign on to the beginning of something that, no, not that. Only not that I don't agree that it should be done. That isn't it. It's just I'm not signing on to it because it's not what I'm working on. I'm not doing that right now. I'm not saying it's not a good idea because I think it is a good idea. Okay. Well, um, it's just not. It's not my thing that I'm doing. You see what I'm saying? Some people well, are working on trucks. Some people are are training militias. Some people are running Johnny Appleseed trainings. I mean, people are doing what they think they should be doing. And I'm sure that if there's hundreds of millions of people in the United States, that you ought to be able to find 12 that would do this, that you want, what you're doing. That's all I'm saying. 
Well, good things happen with time. They do. And I think that the as far as having um, people brought to justice that should have been, what the heck? I mean, we had, uh, supposedly, we had all of our checks and balances there. So what the heck happened? If the U.S. Constitution was a subversive document from the start, the Articles of Confederation were vastly superior in securing the rights of the people. Washington and, and, and Hamilton were high-level Masons. They were slave traders. I've heard of many of these things before. It's not like the first time. You know, a lot of us in New England were related to these people. Did you know that? Sure, sure. I mean, it's it's our it's our kind of almost like our heritage up here. People talk about this stuff all the time. Um, I think New England is really an interesting, you know, study all on its own. Yeah, Desert Pete's saying it's 20 minutes before my screen crashes, but I think he was counting uh, a while ago because it's actually about 11 minutes, I think, until my screen crashes. I My thing shuts itself off at three hours, whether I like it or not, and I have to come back if I come back. Um, but the um the thing with New England, I think that everybody sort of minimizes it like, well, you're up there in the corner, what what do you guys do? But you have to put it that into um the context of history is that that's where the people were at the beginning was up in the corner there. We're all related to that and the people have been influenced by that, whether or not they knew all those people. They're influenced by it. It's in our our families and stuff. You know, the New England Township is something that is legendary. Uh, It's the ideal model, the ideal, pretty close to the ideal incarnation of a pure system of common law. Are you familiar with history on that, the New England Townships? I was, and I've forgotten it, but when you mentioned it, it was, I, I know I've heard of that before. Yeah, they were on the cutting edge with all the colonies. It was New England. That was that's why the part of why they called it New England because they retained the English common law essence, you know, freed from all the ty- tyranny of the king, but 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 the grassroots bottom up concept of townships and precincts, New England was really good on. Yeah, we we had that until recently here where I live. Well, I'm it's in still Bangor. In- I don't know if it's still in parts of Maine, but in Bangor we had that, and they changed some of that. We, um, it's it's beyond their capabilities of changing. It's like Obama's executive orders. It's vapor. It has no lawful yeah. authority. Well, that's why that's why Dottie's uh, group there um, on Wednesday night may expose why that's so important because they're showing that they're showing how things change and that they weren't really supposed to change. They just did it. Nobody stopped them, so they just said, "Hey, this is what we're going to do now." Oh, okay. What's the, It all gets down to guns. It all gets down to guns. Who's got... Maybe. Do you know that each each ten households has the right to elect their own peace officer called a constable? I probably have heard that and forgotten it again. Okay, well, see... That sounds familiar. At that point, when, when, when a peace officer constable 
points a gun at somebody and says, you're under arrest, you need to come with me, then that person needs to stop do what he, doing whatever he's done and put down all resistance and, and go with the constable peace officer to a court of law so that the charges against him can be lawfully adjudicated. And that kind of process can be applied against any public servant to bring any public servant to accountability. It could be applied against Obama if we ever got our poop together. Well, I know that people talk about various ways they're going to get control of everything, but they haven't done it yet. I, I know. That's because we haven't got consensus from the people because everybody wants to see somebody else do it first before they're willing to sign on board. I don't think you get consensus from the people because they don't even know that there's anything wrong. I think it's way worse than that they don't want to be the first one. There's been lots of common law 12-person jury trial verdicts issued based on consensus, even in recent years. And it can be they, done again if we ever when get I was When I was on a jury, there were I was on a jury once, and the people that we... That's a wonderful sound, by the way. I like that. Um... <laughs> The um, the jury was didn't even know what they were supposed to do for sure, and we asked the judge, and the judge wouldn't tell us anything. And now, of course, I know that the judge couldn't tell us anything. But at the time, I thought, how ridiculous that they won't even tell us anything. This is so stupid. Well, you're um, talking about what the bad guys do things wrong, all screwed up. I was trying to talk about how we could do things much better, not screwed up. Yeah, I know. Well, we need to be focusing our energies on how to do things right, not crying about what uh, is uh, is all screwed up and how the bad guys are doing everything wrong. That's true. I don't cry. Well, I I use words a bit harshly there. I didn't mean to. All right. I I want people to express themselves. Well, you know that I, like I don't have any trouble expressing myself, so go right ahead. I'm just saying that it isn't something I can do right now. I know what my limitations are. And I have well, a limitation yeah. with that because it's That's not our, something that uh, I'm it, interested in and it's nothing I'm going to be doing, so why indicate I will? Because I won't. <laughs> okay, well, and, and it's not really a, an area where women should be exercising a leadership role, I think. Really? Yeah, really. Okay. But you're not comfortable with it, right? With what? We're exercising a leadership role in the common law Jewish process. In this particular thing that you're talking about working on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it has nothing to do with anything to do with comfort. It's more like I'm not wanting to do it. It's not something I'm motivated to do. I, I dare say that's partially <laughs> at least because you're female and that's natural instincts of a woman, to be more laid back. No. Well, it could be your view, but that is not the case. That's not why, because I'm okay. perfectly well, able to be out there with anything that I'm wanting to do. So it, it didn't have anything to do with female or whatever. All right. Well, I love you dearly, sister. Um, I've got a few other irons in the fire here. Um, okay. But I'll try to call in again next week. I love our little opportunities to, to kind of steel sharpen steel here a little bit, you know? Okay. We're good? Yeah, we're good. See if you All can right. go to um, the other show if you haven't on Wednesday nights at 9.
it's excellent, and it sounds like something you would like. What other show would that be? Main Exposed Talk Show. Okay, that's... Dottie is in the chat right now, and she um, helps to facilitate that show, and Phil Maletti, who works with her, and uh, Leon, um, and who else? Um, Lisa DuPont, working okay. on constitutional issues in Maine. Okay, that sounds and interesting. I'm learning, just... I'm learning a ton from them. And Gene usually goes and he sits in the chat and tells them that they don't know what they're talking about. I'm just kidding, Gene. But <laughs> Gene goes in there and makes comments and stuff too, so he's usually there. And it's at 9 o'clock, so it's a pretty good time for people to get there. And it's okay, and that's on, talk, that's on TalkShoe also? Yes. And is it listed publicly or privately? They'll give you a link. Um, is it a private or a public one? Oh, it's public. It's, it's okay, so it's listed in the... It's listed in live now on TalkShoe? Um, I don't know because I don't ever do that. So what it is is it's nine. Oh, there it is. She just put information here. She put it in the chat. So you can okay. click on that and you'll get to it. Okay, that sounds good. All right. Yeah, yeah. Great talking with you, Ginger. You too. All right, bye now. Thank you. Yep, good night. Well, my chickadees, my phone's going to shut off and... <laughs> about three minutes <laughs> or so. I don't know. Did I rant and rave too much tonight? Oh, Leon says, I think that's Leon. I think he's been in our calls before. Really? I don't know. Um, yeah, but I always have to pick on Gene because he deserves it because he picks on me. Thank you, Valam. I should find out if you guys are all done tonight before the thing cuts me off. Thanks, Dottie, for giving the um, links to your stuff. I think that's excellent work. And it did get a lot of wheels turning last night. So even though I was feeling pretty bad and sick when I was... That's part of the reason why I never called back certain people that called me yesterday was because I was really in a bad state yesterday. I didn't feel well. And then to hear that somebody close to me had died, it's kind of eerie in a way because I feel like sometimes I know, and you know, without knowing. I had lost contact with that particular person and um, hadn't seen him in a few years. And apparently he was in nursing care at the end, but he was in Florida. I wouldn't have seen him or heard from him. Um, okay. Desert Pete, if you're calling in, do it quick because I'm going to, if I drop out, I'll have to call back in, okay? I'll unmute you as soon as you get here so you can start talking. What's that mean, Jen Art? She was horrible? Are you kidding? <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, my brain just doesn't stop. That's the thing. I can't... Uh, I can't help it. It's the way it goes. And as far as, like, you know, words, and what I was trying to get across as far as words go is that my brain goes side to side rather than up and down, and it goes side to side in a way. If you tell me one word, I can generate a ton of stuff from that one word, and it makes it hard for me sometimes to think the same as other people. In other, 
in order to get to the point where I can answer a question even. That's so sad, but it's true. And um, so that's why I sound a little weird sometimes when I try to figure out what somebody means. I have to be on the same wavelength with them so I can understand them. Okay, here's Desert Pete. Does it unmute? Come on. Maybe it's cutting me off while it's trying to unmute. There it is. Hi, Desert Pete. Yeah, good evening. Good evening. Uh, just quickly wanted to chat on these uh, alleged uh, suicides. Uh, oh, yeah, I was going to uh, mention those. So, the the yeah. gray movie or gray country. Yeah, I forget the gray title state. of it. Yeah, gray, gray state. state. Yeah, gray yeah. state, uh, They're saying that was a murder-suicide. Is the, the news report on it? Makes no sense. And then we've got, uh, you know, forgetting the name of the family, but this fellow is a security specialist, some high mucky muck government thing in uh, back east, and his, his huge mansion burns down. Yeah. And, and did they say whether people were killed in that or not? They've found two bodies I've heard so far, and they're still looking oh. for four more. Oh. Um, there's been a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, more uh, more suspicious. Did you see the big? There was a big fire in New Jersey last night, like a big complex, apartment complex along the Hudson River. Uh, no, I was I, wondering if somebody important, you know, important in quotes, lived there, because that was seen that one. huge. Oh, it was a huge fire last night. There were videos of it online. Um, maybe while while I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> How to get back on when this shuts off? I'll look for that link and put it up because the video was unbelievable last night when I watched it before bed. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't want to keep us up extra late here, so I'm just going to fire off a couple okay. more points here. Uh, I already put one comment up in the chat, but we had so many things going. I don't know if anybody saw it. The uh, I do have one other airline pilot friend. Uh, this other friend has been certified on shucks. I think it's about five different wide, wide bodies, and he's been flying for about 30 years. So uh, it, it's an excellent second opinion to toss in with fields. Uh, okay. As he sees the black box data, he sees, and I should mention, he had been certified on the Airbus A320 just as field heads. So both pilots are very qualified to comment on characteristics of that particular aircraft. Uh, he says it was an Airbus autopilot programming error um, that he was already flying at high altitude and he did some particular maneuver that caused the autopilot to kick in automatically. And this was not the, uh, the Circo thing. This was a known issue by autopilot bus three a three twenty pilots that if you do something this dumb at this time the autopilot will take over. And he said the autopilot was programmed wrong. It caused the nose up and the instant altitude climb. Because I, I first uh this should be easy enough for all us all of us to understand. Uh, I, I raised the question of how in the world can a commercial airliner climb at the rate of a mile a minute. That's an outrageous climb rate. That's 60 miles an hour vertical. And he says it's simple. You've got a huge mass on that airplane. It's a heavy airplane. I mean, yes, there are bigger ones, but I mean, compared to a Cessna, an A320 is a heavy plane. 
And it says when you have that much mass going 600 miles an hour and you simply adjust the aerodynamics to go up, you have plenty of mass pushing you up. But he said he was already pretty high to begin with, about 37,000 feet. And when he started climbing at that outrageous rate, he got up into extremely thin air in a nose-up position and created an instant stall. And so now he's in a tail-down position in a stall, which is one of the worst positions an airplane could be in. Uh, and it it would take, well, it would take a fighter pilot skill to pull it out of a spin like that. So uh, that was my, my pilot's second opinion on the issue, is he wants to blame Airbus programming error on it rather than a circle takeover. So I'm curious. I, I sent this over to Field today, and we'll see if what uh, what he comments on tomorrow. Well, I dumped off and just got back a couple minutes ago, but um, I think that he was talking about something like that that I heard part of. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it could be. Uh, it might have been a time when you weren't there because he he said something about oh, he was talking about something about. Um, now I can't remember it, but it, I thought he was saying something like that. I don't know for sure. I shouldn't say, but anyway, so you did tell him that anyway. So yeah, I passed on. Uh, he'll I put haven't... it in his book of uh, <laughs> everything he knows about it. Uh huh. <clears throat> but uh, but since. My friend and Field have both flown A320s. That particular problem at that altitude is something both of them should should know about. Uh, and well, I'm curious if, if Field knows of some additional stuff that they discovered maybe in the black box that, that my other friend hadn't noticed or something. So anyway, just just more information to toss on the stack there. Yeah, it, well, because with you guys, you know the specs. So you have all the details of that stuff. And when I hear it, it's like, well, I can't retain that because I don't have anything to hang it on. So I think about the generalities, which is, okay, did it, did this happen because of or this? Mm-hmm. And I just listen to them. I mean, I take it in somewhat, but I don't take it in as deeply as some of the other things they talk about. Mm-hmm. Um just because it's not my thing. You know, I'm interested in it, but I don't retain it right well, I think he was talking about something though having a hot a very fast climb oh I know what I think I think I'm I'm mixing it up with what else he was talking about that I was listening to real hard again he was talking about um, I don't know if it was the interview he did with that guy in UK or if it was on the able danger show but he was talking about when he almost um, crashed a plane were you there when he was talking about that? When he said yeah, I think it was uh, Richie, the the associate of uh, of David Ike, uh, over there in in Scotland. Or was that Ireland, who he was talking about with that when he said about how he had to pin the guy from you know his, his yeah that was, that was on a, a, a flight in, in Afghanistan and yeah the co-pilot was obviously uh, a new didn't have anywhere near as many hours as Field had. And Afghanistan that's why he or had... Kazakhstan? Oh boy, Kazakhstan. He was flying for Aristana. 
So I don't know if it was that one or he was yeah. talking about a different one. It yeah. might have been. It might have been some other thing because he was saying how he had to do something to save the flight, and that if it had been just up to the other guy or the equipment, it wouldn't have been saved because it couldn't have been saved. In other yeah, words, I, it takes a pilot's brains that knows how to fly to be able to fix something like that. I remember the story, and yeah, it definitely <laughs> yeah. relates to this. And oh. that's what I confused because he was talking about the uh, nose of the aircraft. He was talking about that, and I was thinking of that as the climbing, and I mixed it up with the other one. So Yeah, c- combining what we've all learned from field, and in my case, other comments I've gotten chatting with with my other pilot. That's why I don't fly anymore. <laughs> when you realize what can go wrong. I know, really. And and Field is so right in in pointing out that the airline owners think that the computer can do everything and they don't need to hire anybody with skills. Uh, that is so wrong. It's deadly. They've got to have a, a skilled pilot up there who knows that, okay, the computer's making a bad decision. I've got to correct it now. Yeah, and they uh, were, somebody was talking about the fact that no one knew that they could do this, this uh, droning of the aircraft, this, which is just another word for uninterruptible autopilot. Right. It's another word for it. People recognize the word drone lately. They know what that means. Yeah. Airliners that are droned are the same as a drone that's droned. It means that there's an automated control, and the uninterruptible autopilot, they act like it was a big secret that was a secret from the public. No, it wasn't. I remember distinctly after September 11th hearing that on the media, this will never happen again because if anyone ever attempts to hijack an airliner... We can control it from the ground. I remember it distinctly because I thought, wow, that's cool. Because sky marshals, you know, they were flying on the flights all the time to make sure there were no hijackings back in the 70s or whatever it was when they were on there all the time. And now they won't have to be so worried because they can save the flight. They'll just land it automatically. So I remember that they talked about it on the media, whether or not anyone else remembers it. I'm sorry but they were talking about it, so it was not a secret. They stopped talking about it, probably along about the time they decided to start using it the way they are now, but, you know, for less than honest means. But it's just, you know, for people to say, well, um, the pilot's flying the plane. No, he's not. He's not flying the plane. And they said it was so safe because the computer is doing it. There's no no room for pilot error. Well, well. what's been pointed out to me is the uh, the tight pattern they have to hold up there in the normal trade routes, the the, the normal airline path, paths, because basic law of geometry we all learned back in, in grade school or high school is the, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. So when you want to connect major cities like London to Washington or Philadelphia to Berlin or something, it's always a straight line. So they all fly the same path. And it's only because of computer accuracy and GPS 
that they can place 20 or 30 airliners along the same road. And there's this imaginary white line in the sky, and my pilot tells me, you adhere to your path, you are never allowed to deviate left. If you see something like like an, une- an unexpected hot air balloon in front of you, and you have to avoid it, you're only allowed to mer- to go to the right. If you go left, you are now in oncoming traffic. If you go up, you are in somebody else's flight path. If you go down, you are in somebody else's flight path. Yeah. You can only avoid obstacles by swerving to the right. And I think you said they're allowed like a half a mile or something that they can do uh, for that. Yeah. Uh, once you know that and you realize that he can only go up 500 feet or down 500 feet with without crashing into another known plane on the same path, that makes me nervous. I don't uh, fly anyway. Because man, <laughs> I when you get when you get into to using technical equipment, you know there's a key word you have to learn before you ever touch any precision equipment. That's called calibration. If it's not calibrated properly, it's never going to give you the right number, and it's never going to do its job properly. So if he's only got a, a plus or minus 500 foot tolerance to be where he's supposed to be up there in the sky, that altimeter or that GPS unit or whatever is is running the autopilot system better be calibrated to perfection or everybody's life is at stake of maybe not one plane but two planes. Um, So anyway... I think that part of the reason why that that people would buy into this whole thing about computers or, you know, the way to do it because computers don't deviate. They are always right when you program them right. They will do what you ask them to do. I think that it's ludicrous to place something that's so important into the hands of a machine, which is how I see it, but, you know... I don't win in that argument. I just, I don't win in that argument. But I'll tell you, I think it's a mistake. And I can say what I think is true. Can I? (laughs) And I think it's a mistake to put things into quantities, into computers. I don't think it's helpful. And usually it's more harmful than helpful, so why do it? So I'm I'm off, off of that. I used to be on that, and I'm not anymore. I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, we have I, everything tracked by computers. How ridiculous is that? I think we were all supposed to learn in 2001: A Space Odyssey, and it's it's sequel 2010 that uh, computers do what they're programmed, and if yeah. the programmer makes a mistake, the computer is going to replicate that mistake. I've lived it, Pete. Uh, we we all have, and knowing what I know about electronics, you've got a third, you've got a, a second factor in there. It could be a programming error, but right. what if a contact is corroded? Suddenly, the electron that is supposed to get from point A to point B can't get there. Or worse yet, it might spark twice before it makes an actual connection. So instead of uh, one zero bit, you have two zero bits that suddenly hit the next chain of the, the data instruction. If you don't have a perfect electrical connection, you don't know how many bits got there. 
uh, and more problems can happen. So uh, digital solved a lot of problems, but it created new ones. Well, I always thought, you know, it's a good idea to have things that were assisting, assisting, and that is a big word, assisting us, but not controlling things to the degree that they right. are now. I mean, exactly. it's like a tool with anything. It's like if it'll help you do your work, yeah, it's great to have your uh, photocopier have a little memory thing in it mm-hmm. until it starts cranking out the hundred sheets of blank paper because it remembers that you want a hundred of these and there's nothing in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like it's supposed to help you not be worse. Right. And I people used to laugh because they say, I want manual, I want the manual thing. Something that you put whatever it is in there and press buttons or do things yourself. I don't want it to decide for me that, oh, you want this size paper, you want it copied, you know, the way you last said it. And we're going to decide that since it's only been off for 10 minutes that you still want the same thing you last used. We had the most messy bunch of stuff happen at schools because somebody would walk out one door of the teacher's room that had just copied 35 copies of something, and you come in and put your paper in there and hit print or whatever it is or copy, and it would print you 35 copies because it thinks you're the same person because it was two seconds ago when the other person left. Right. And it would be like, why is this doing this? And it was because the last person did something. It was just the way it was helping you. It was making it better. I was like, no, it's not better. <laughs> Let me just put it on the glass and press the you know, copy button and get what I put in myself. But and yeah. I you know, I'm like living in the horse and buggy days, I guess. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Tomorrow, Irving. my nephew is getting his eyes done. He's getting LASIK surgery, and a computer's going to do that. <laughs> well, computers do that surgery is, now. Is he sure he wants that? Or yeah, he's gone through all the stuff. He's going tomorrow and have it done. And it's just—I've had an eye operation before, and it's kind of amazing how technology has changed those things. But a, a computer's going to do his eyes tomorrow. Well, based on what we've just been talking about, that makes me nervous to to even yeah. think about that. But uh, the people that have it done love it. The ones I've known, they love it because they it improves their vision so much. But he he said that a computer, they they dilated his eyes. It lasted for like two and a half days. He said because they were really dilated, and the computer did the digitizing of his eyes so that the computer's going to know where to do the corrections. So yeah, that's how far the uh, the eye thing has you know developed. Well, it's his James decision. Is going to bed, so we gotta say good night, James. Ken. Yep, it's his decision. He's an adult. So. Yeah. Uh, two other quick things. Uh, you had mentioned yeah. spruce, the spruce goose earlier on. I guess when yeah. we were going about 1947 events. I met somebody who was actually there that day and saw it fly. For the eight minutes or whatever it was? Yes. They uh-huh. went down to Long Beach to see it fly. And here's the interesting story. The the fellow uh, who I met was obviously pretty well up in years. And his career had been to be a Navy photographer during the Korean War. 
And so when he told me that he witnessed Howard Hughes fly the spruce goose, I said, well, Mr. Photographer, show me some pictures. And he said, I was five years old. My mom took me down there. I didn't have a camera yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that was funny. Never forget things like that, though. Uh Uh-huh. You just don't. I mean, they're amazing events when you see them, you know. Yeah. And the other thing is I want to personally thank you for uh, your your comments early in the show of, of pointing out that even draft dodgers are human beings because uh, those who, who did not enlist or get drafted, that was another category of derision back in the 60s. Absolutely. I knew people on both sides of that fence. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I was strongly in favor of women serving also, which was really unusual for that that uh, opinion at the time. But I was, like, right into the whole thing of, you know, you're drafting men, you're interrupting their life, they may never come back, right? So why aren't you drafting women? And everybody was like, well, you're going to be sending women, oh, my God, into combat and all that. And I was like, I didn't say combat. Drafting them for what they're able to do which is whatever they're able to do. Why aren't they drafted? I was all into that. I was talking about that to everybody. Women should be drafted, too. If you're going to draft men, it's not right. It's not fair. It's not equitable. And he just looked at me like, where did you come from? Well, I came from this. I came from a patriotic stance, basically. This is your country. And I was also, you know, I listened to John Kennedy say, you know, ask not what, you know, the whole thing. Um, And I felt like, it's not fair. Why should it just be the guys? That the women could give the, you know, whatever it is, two years or whatever it was that you had to give. Why couldn't the women do that? You don't have to be in combat. You could be working in the hospital or somewhere taking care of supplies or whatever. And um, Or if you were really strong and you could do something in combat and wanted to, why not? Now, of course, things have changed, but yeah, do serve, I, but at I, the time it was unheard of. I was always very anti-draft for anyone myself, but that was a strange question. Just stating it from male, from a male viewpoint here, wondering how human these women were to want to marry a soldier and then wave and goodbye to him as they knew he'd never come back. And I'm thinking, did you just marry him for his GI benefits? Oh, well, marry what? him in case he didn't come back. You didn't know for sure. Why <laughs> weren't they taking a political stance? I mean, this this flag-waving terminology that to me is really offensive, that waves the flag and said, support our troops. And I'm thinking, well, if you really cared for those human beings that you call troops... Why aren't you getting politically active as to why we even started a particular war? Or why are we even involved in a war? And I was just intuitive enough at age 19 to know that the whole Vietnam was a total scam and that Lyndon Johnson was as corrupt as can be. But at age 19, with no internet, I had no proof. I just sensed that there's something wrong with that man. Yeah, see, Uh, that's the thing is why I say people need to make their own judgments on conscience, matters of conscience, 
they can't be swayed by the entire country because the entire country has been wrong, as we see. Yeah, but and, as um, as I've elaborated on on past shows, forty years later, I now have absolute proof. Lyndon Johnson was a murderer. He had eleven men murdered before he even made it to the White House. That guy was a deep psycho- psychopath. There's a lot of uh, evidence coming out about him in the last year or so, too. Yeah. Uh, and he was not to be trusted. And I, I'm all for loyalty to your, to your country. Good grief. I was born here. Uh, for what it's worth, I, the hospital I was born in was only five miles away from where uh, Abraham Lincoln is buried. I mean, the, the heart of patriotic Midwest US, USA is where I came from. But uh, no righteous person... Springfield, Illinois, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, I knew that because we, when we went out to Iowa one time on a road trip, we were talking about whether we wanted to go down there and see where Lincoln was buried. Uh-huh. Uh... But uh, your, your comments on Christianity are, are highly appreciated and agreed with. Uh, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we follow what Christ said. And before you go building up any doctrine on anything, Old and New Testament, anybody who's never been had any experience of Christianity just needs to get a red-letter Bible and see, just just read the red words. See what Christ said first, and then go build your doctrine after that. Uh, well, there's an awful lot of people calling themselves Christians that that don't act anything like a Christian, in my opinion. Well, I know, and you wonder where in the world did they get those crazy ideas. It's because of men's ideas about Christ. It's not about what Christ said. And so if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we need to listen to what Christ said and act accordingly. Simple as that. Well, yeah, like what, what, I mean, really, we're talking about torturing people to get information out of them. That's not, yeah, that's not in the Bible. The, yeah, the, that's that's an insane person talking to come up with that kind of a doctrine. That is rationalizing. People that I know and value were talking about that like it was a good thing to do. And yeah. these are people that I know, like Texas Bible bashers, okay, Texas is, you don't want to mess with people in Texas if you want to talk about anything. Um, They are very strongly, you know, everything is about God and and the Bible and church and everything else. But it was okay to go torture people to get information out of them because you might save somebody. And I was like, huh? I was just like shocked. I was so shocked. I was like, you're kidding me. When is it ever okay? I mean, I did that rant a couple weeks ago. When is it ever okay to kill somebody? When's it okay to torture them, I mean? The uh, the best comment I've heard about Texans is that you can always tell a Texan, but you sure can't tell him much. <laughs> and uh, Well, when my brother was no. alive and he was living down there, which is some of these relatives or his, his family, who I didn't really ever know because they didn't come to Maine and he was out of contact with the family for quite a while. But... Um, they're all adults now. In fact, they have grandchildren and stuff. But he, he said to me one time on the phone, he said, um, you know, about everybody being armed. And I said, I don't feel the need to carry a gun around. And he says, well, 
you know, who do you think is going to protect you? All the stuff we would say now, who's going to protect you? We would say in Maine. I know that you wouldn't, but um, who's going to protect you if no one's coming? I mean, you are responsible to take care of your family and make sure they're safe. And I said, well, I agree with that, but I don't feel like I need to carry a gun around. I just don't feel like I'm in any danger. Well, in Texas, apparently, it was commonplace for people to just shoot somebody, just the heck of it, out, you know, get angry and shoot somebody by the side of the road. I've, I'd heard these stories, not recently, but back then. And I said, yeah, I kind of get that. And he says, he, he says, we don't go anywhere unless we have a gun with us. And I was like, man, that's harsh, you know, like, I don't think I want to go to Texas because what if I decide to, you know, yell at somebody and I shouldn't or something? He's like, no. He says, says, you're responsible for the protection and safety of your family and no one else is. And I just couldn't get it. Well, now I get it. I do get it. But this is how we change, you know. Yeah. I think people are responsible for themselves. If you don't want to do it, that's okay. It's your decision, but the thing I heard recently, which is that some school was going to give the kids canned vegetables to throw at people as the last resort, I was like, (laughs) seriously, yeah, it might work. It's kind of my technique. I'm thinking about using canned vegetables. I have some right here in the kitchen I can throw at somebody. (laughs) A few times I've been to Texas, I never really noticed anyone carrying a a side side art or side piece or anything. A lot of them do. Concealed. But Arizona, one particular town, uh, Tombstone, Arizona, I I was in shock. About eight out of ten people walking down the street had sidearms. Yeah. And they it's weren't common little... in certain areas of the country, though. That is common in certain areas. They weren't little yeah. derringers or or twenty twos either. They were forty fives. Have you ever list, lifted a forty-five? That's about a I'm five or a sure. six-pound gun. I've lifted several different guns, but it's because I live in Maine. I mean, people in Maine carry guns, some of them. There, it yeah. isn't like a big deal to us. I told you that. We have people that go hunting with their kids, and their kids are young. They they buy guns and use them for things. They We don't think of them as something to use against other people. So it's yeah. not the same everywhere. Well, we 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 grew up as kids watching cowboys and Indian westerns, and and the good yeah. guy always had what he referred to as his forty-five, and you just saw him grab it and shoot it like it weighed eight ounces. Yeah. But when a friend of mine got himself a forty-five and he handed it to me, I go to pick the thing up. I couldn't believe how heavy that thing was. Yeah. <laughs> I. Uh, <laughs> Incredible, and they used to flip them around, too. They'd flip well, them around and do fancy things with them. Oh, Annie uh, Oakley shots and whatever, and, and the history of what that woman could do. <laughs> she must have had wrists of iron. <laughs> yeah. Uh, One of my former students um, over Christmas, she had come back from Texas because that's where she'd been living with her husband, who was overseas deployed. <clears throat> and she had come home to Maine to stay with her parents, um, and family over Christmas time, and um, and her husband got uh, released to come back to the state unexpectedly and early, so he came back a little while ago, and they've gone back to Texas. But while she was here, 
course, people were interacting on Facebook and stuff. And her father was a police officer for a number of years. He isn't now, but he was extremely well-respected. Everybody loved him. He's like a big teddy bear guy, real nice. Kids are real nice. Wife's a teacher, all the whole thing. That's how I knew them. And um, so she posts on her Facebook page a few days after Christmas her new gun she got for Christmas, okay? And she's out in the yard shooting targets. And I I can't I don't remember now what the gun was, but it was loud and it was scary. And she was standing there and the thing that was funny about it is that when she was shooting it, she was into it. She just really liked it and she was obviously she'd been getting lessons from her father probably on how to do it correctly. But um she was right on with those targets, and she was just, like, thrilled, like, so happy. And all I could think of is, yeah, like, we watch this in Maine, and we think, hey, good, you've learned, you know, you've, you're doing good with that, and it's marksmanship and all this stuff. Other places in the country would say, what the heck does that girl need a gun for? Because they think of it totally differently than we do. Um, I don't know. Maybe she was going to take it back and carry it around in Texas. I don't know, but. We just don't think of them the same way. I, it made me want to go do target practice, <laughs> you know. It's just different. So. Yeah, well, different world. And yeah, they're talking about in Maine now about the um, age for hunting, like if they should limit the age because I don't think there is a limit. I heard that on the news tonight, and I thought there's another thing. Because in Maine, you know, one of the things we have out of control here is that they don't have anything better to do than make new new laws and regulations or whatever for people. They go down and think up something if they don't have anything. And that's one of them they're working on now. <clears throat> it's yeah. like the kids don't go out by themselves anyway. They don't go hunting by themselves. So why would you have to do anything about it? So you can find the parents, I guess. Government poking, huh? government poking its nose into personal business again. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, well, of course the state would want to control that. I mean, you can't have a five-year-old out there in the woods hunting, but they don't have um, they don't have things happen like with adults, with kids, because kids are supervised, for one thing. They're not going to, people aren't going to send a five-year-old out into the woods by themselves with a gun to go hunting. So it's like, is there really a problem? It's more of a problem in someone's perception than in the actuality because it's more likely that they're out there learning how to properly hunt. <clears throat> anyway, that's our culture over here. I know it's different than California. Well, your your culture matches a lot of uh, of rural Illinois. So that, yeah, and the upper part. That's why I can identify yeah. so much. Yeah, and the upper parts of the United States too, like out where a field is, out in um, the Dakotas and uh, Wisconsin and stuff, out in there, Minnesota. Yeah. They're like that too. They hunt. They love it. You know, that's no, one thing I don't really want to see is people's YouTube videos of how they skin the animal that they, you know, killed because I can't take it. I don't want to look at it. Yeah, well, the the local grocery store, just walking distance from my house there in Illinois, sold guns and ammunition. Yeah, and we always... 
they didn't even ask about age. Um, go in and buy bullets at age 16, no ID required. Yeah. Well, they knew me for one thing. Oh, yeah, you're the kid who yeah. just lives up the street. Yeah. You're, you're not going to hurt anybody with it. So. My fun. family didn't um, hunt, and they didn't have guns or anything, but my late husband's family did hunt, and they did have guns. So he grew up around it. Um, I doubt my kids will ever develop any interest in hunting. They're not, that's just not their thing. So in in a lot of the families in Maine, they're finding that too, is like, what do we do with them? These are heirlooms that were passed down for generations and, and uh, nobody wants them. They feel like they shouldn't take them. So what are you going to do with them? And um, one of the relatives, the one, the older brother that lives in Florida, he said what he decided he was going to do was just he's going to donate them to a museum if there's anything historical that they might want. Um, and because his kids didn't want them either. You know, they marry somebody who doesn't want them in the house or something like that, so you end up with something you're not using and you nobody wants it, so it's not an heirloom anymore. Yeah, well, I... Uh... I admit to uh, to wimping out, and and the reason I give for not owning any guns is I can't afford any. If I wanted to defend myself, I'd want an AK-47 or an Uzi or something. Have you priced those things? They're close to a thousand bucks. That's major cash for 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 a, a weapon that would actually defend you against somebody who was really trying to to harm you. Yeah, uh, so what's the use? I can't afford them, so why even bother talking about them? Yeah. Anyhow, uh, that's my short list of uh, comments for the week. So, uh, well, let everybody. All right. Well, um, probably that's enough. Anyways, I think that the energy is <laughs> pretty much gone out after it gets after eleven o'clock here on the East Coast. I know that it's earlier there where you are, but up uh-huh. here we're like you know fading because it's been dark for several hours, and we're like you know ready to fall asleep. But, yeah. I- um, I was kind of hoping guest six would call in because I wanted to hear a few more of his viewpoints on a few things. Cause it, he, he made a yeah, couple of sh- short comments at the start that looked like I had an argument brewing, and then I realized, no, he and I are both on the same side of the fence. So. Yeah, really? Um, I don't even know. Um, like I, when when I first was doing this show and Field was coming, sometimes he would always say, who is that? Who is, who's guest 15? Who's guest? I said, I don't know. Do we need to know who these people are? <laughs> Well, I just wonder who they are, and I was like, yeah. I, you know, I go to talk shoes sometimes, and I'm a guest because sometimes I just want to listen, and I don't want to influence what anybody says or have them see that I'm there, for sure. I mean, I don't care if they know, but just to stay in the background, sort of to listen and not get in the chat and all that. And there are people for whatever reason don't want to identify with any name, and that's fine. Uh-huh. So. I don't know who Guest Six is, if it's somebody that comes frequently or not. Uh, he said um, he was a Marine, and uh, I, I just wanted to tell him, don't take any offense to anything I've said, because we've all been mislaid at some point in time, and uh, I respect him for well, his, his decisions. At, at, maybe at they left after I ranted, because I didn't see too many comments after that. Let's see. Okay. Well, it's and and the it's, thing about the Marines, too, because it's a big joke over at Able Danger that Ginger's always looking for the Marines. Well, I was looking for the Marines a lot. And um, there's some Marines I've seen in the media that really make me mad, and I've mentioned them a few times, because they come on and they're on the media, 
they're making comments and they're retired Marines supposedly and then they go on about um, um, something they know for sure is a lie because they would know from what the position they're in and all I can think of is how dare you identify as a Marine because you might have served in the Marines but you're certainly not a Marine if you're participating in this you know the Marines should have, uh, you know, respect for themselves. But like David Hawkins says, sometimes the uh, work is done not by an overt action, but by the um, absence of the action that they should have taken, the responsibility they had that they did not fulfill because it's easy to explain it away. And I always think of that when something's going on, that was that person... Um, paid off to not do their job. So I don't know. You know what I'm saying, right? Uh, like yeah. Instead of them overtly doing an act for the mob or whatever you want to call these criminals, um, they just fail to do something for which they're responsible. Well, and that's uh, why we had 9-11. Yeah. The, the, the very idea of 19 crazy Arabs from a cave with nothing but a few plastic handle blocks cutters up their their leg sleeve or shirt sleeve to shut down the entire US government for a day. It, That's I absurd. Knew that it, I knew it wasn't true the day that I heard it. That's one of the reasons why I got involved with things fairly soon after I heard other people were working on it because I was like, Thank you. You know Yeah. Thank but, you no, that, for bringing us together because these people were all in isolation having the same experience that they couldn't believe what they were seeing and the people around them were saying, what's wrong with you? You can't you can't be serious about this stuff. What are you, sick or something? You're thinking about conspiracies? No, I'm telling you something's wrong with that day. Things were wrong that day. What's, why can't you see it? Yeah, that, that, that's why I've kind of been a little stressed out with, with family matters the last couple of weeks here on the show is I, I still have this ongoing rather heated discussion with, with some Zionist-leaning relatives that think that, oh, it's it's uh, it's an Arab-caused uh, Islamic culture that's uh, that's doing evil things in the world. I'm thinking, did you pay any attention over 9-11? It was massive treason inside our own government yeah. that people stopped doing their do their job for a while, yeah. and switches that should have been flipped didn't get flipped, and oh. switches that should <sighs> other way around there. I mean, it, it happened both ways. The point is, uh, back to David Hawkins' dog that didn't bark, and. Uh, you really have to ask the question, who had the security clearance to sit in that position? Yeah. And then when you realize the people handing out security clearances were selectively choosing who could sit in what position and who could who could not. And well, well I, like even like even when I first heard that Gerald DeConto was locked out of his command key. Um, he must have just gone, what the heck? You know, because he wouldn't have expected that, that 
all of a sudden he can't communicate and he's responsible. I can't even imagine how horrible he must have felt when he knew that he was out of control of what was going on and all of a sudden he's dead. I mean, it just horrible, horrible, horrible. And um, the other thing that um, I just remembered that they asked Field on that UK show was what happened to the people. And Field said they're in Whiskey 386. And, you know, when I've told, told people about that because they go, well, if, if they were droned, you know, and they weren't really the airliners, then where are the people then? Where are the real flights that took off with the people in them? I said, they're in Whiskey 386. And they are like, what is that? You know, so I just tell them what it is. Not, a no-fly zone over the ocean. So it would be easy to prove that it's just a conspiracy theory and just people making up stuff. Let's just go look at what's on the ocean floor then. Let's just send somebody out there to check it out. So, Have you seen yeah. a map to exactly identify Whiskey 386, the, the term that Field keeps using? Because I don't know exactly yeah. where it's at. I have seen a map, yes. Um, and I I think it's still, I think I don't think it was something just for that day. I think it is a an ongoing um, no-fly zone. So it's probably something really? used for testing or whatever, I think. Huh. Um uh, okay, here's the thing. I just found it by Google searching or Yahoo searching. Let me see if what it brings up, if it's a map. The title was right. It says it's con- connecting, but it's not connecting. So I'll tell you what the synopsis said on it. Military comms, fleet area control and surveillance. Fleet area control and surveillance facility, V-A-C-S-F-A-C, is it? I don't know how to say this word. V-A-C-A-P-E-S, Virginia. Is that a town? The Cape? I, I don't know. Do you V-A-C-A-P-E-S. have a URL on, on what you're reading? Maybe Bay Cape means Virginia Cape. I don't know. Um, it didn't come up. I, all I saw was a synopsis, and I clicked on it, and it says uh, Hampton Roads, and it looks like coordinates of some kind, but I'm not sure. But I'm I'm thinking you could probably find it even just by Google searching and putting okay. a few search terms in there. Okay. The other word um, I keep hearing David and Field use all the time, and I was never tuned in when they defined it, is Red Switch Network. What is that? Yeah. They talk about the Red Switch Network. Um, I'm not sure. I know. I assumed that it meant, you know, that type of... Um, you know, command structure that, okay, defense red switch network is a um, dedicated telephone network which provides global secure communication services for command and control structure. Let's see, U.S. defense red switch network um, provides secure command and control switches, secure voice, and et cetera. So uh, that's what I thought they meant. Uh, like a secure network for them to use. Okay. And that um, would be the secure network would, for for the protocol from think. president to the top of the Navy. And I would think it would be for people that, I would think it would be like the Federal Bridge Authority, wouldn't it? Where you're either allowed in or you're not allowed in. Maybe it's one part of it or something. That's yeah. what I would think it is, but I don't really know. I haven't studied on it. 
that was just a brief, you know, little checking into that. Because when they start using some terms frequently without occasionally defining it for us again, for those of us who missed the opening show the first time they used the term. uh, Yeah. And he also named Christine Marcy in that interview, his sister, for those listening that don't know Field. Field's sister, Christine Marcy, was mentioned in the interview in the U.K., and he's going to be putting more pressure on her also. Yeah. So well, he's, he's he's got her fingers in all of it. He's repeated right. his problems about his sister often enough that that tuning in most any time you can finally understand what what that was about. But but he keeps using the term red switch network and doesn't bother to define yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. And he has said before too some of the way some of the reason he does things the way he does is because the communication is for other people other than the ones that are there listening or are reading. Yeah. It's for other people in the intelligence community because he drops in certain things and certain phrases so they know that he knows mm-hmm. without actually saying it. So um yeah. and what was the other thing about um about her. Oh, somebody said that she had recently communicated with him. Because I was surprised by that. Because they really? said, is she going to send you another nasty gram? Like, and he said, I don't know, probably. So I think she sent him a communication, maybe an email or something within the last couple of weeks. I don't know what it was about. I missed it if he talked about it. So he was, you know, a little bit, a little bit, um, you know, like done with He's said it before anyway. He's done with her. He's actually said, I hope I get to pull the switch for the trap door for her because he's just, he's had it. Uh, and I have actually is the same, you know, I feel the same way and she's not even my sister. Because at first when I talked to him, the first time I ever talked to him on the phone, I had called him because I wanted to tell him that I was relating to what they were talking about and I thought I could be of service, I could help. And um, I told him some of the reasons, and there were huge amounts of reasons. He couldn't even listen to them all because there were too many. And I said, well, I'll send you an email, and I'll tell you more. But that's as far as I dare to go right now. And I said, I admire you a lot, and it must be very hard to go up against your own sister. And I said, I, you know, for reasons that I know, and my people in my family and people I'm trying to protect, I can't be as out there as you are. And I said, because I'm concerned. And he says, look what I'm doing. And I said, I know. And he says, it's hard. It's hard to do it, but you do it. Because it's more important that we expose this stuff than it is to protect somebody, especially if they're not doing the right thing. Well, at the point when I talked to him, I was completely new to all of it, and I could not tell who I might know that might not be doing the right thing. You know what I mean? It was like... Uh, I didn't know that this was such a big deal. I thought it was a few people and that they would be brought to justice fairly quickly. And then how many years later is it? And we're still sitting here talking about it. <sighs> but Yeah, I I just have to express my own concern because dealing with the powers that be that, that he's confronting and knowing how evil they are, uh, yeah. you really can't make light of it because uh well in my own situation Michael Hastings 
and the Boston breaks, and he starts confronting a, a, a Pentagon general, and suddenly his Mercedes goes to the floor and smashes into a tree on a street that I used to drive on. Yeah. I knew that exact street that that happened at. I used to work in that neighborhood. Uh, that that hits home. And thinking back on, on a news story from, I guess, about a year ago, some house, I think it was in Ohio, a nice upscale house on, on, a, on a very nice, pleasant street. And this one house didn't affect the adjacent ones, but this one house just violently exploded. I remember that. It was natural gas or something, right? Well, they claim natural gas, but other investigators said, no, this is not a natural gas fire. That was a military hit. Something, yeah. Some missile hit it right in the middle of the night. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you that when Field was talking about his kids one day, because somebody said, you know, um, they were talking about people's families and stuff, and he said, you have to think about everyone's kids. And that's how, you know, that's how I feel about it, too, because what are we going to do? We can't just sit there and let people hold somebody over our head and say, look, do this or this is going to happen. That's on them, not on us. We are, in my opinion, I always say in my opinion, we are not here to protect our own while we let everyone else suffer or die. Right. It's human nature to want to do that, but you can't do that because it's, not the why we're here uh, in my opinion it's not um so right and and this goes back to the the draft dodger verbiage during the vietnam war is we weren't concerned about just saving our own skin we were yeah. concerned about this maniac in the white house is killing a lot of us let's yeah. uh do something about this and uh it took years but uh, things change, and the the draft went away, and at least we have a totally volunteer military at this point. Um, and women yeah, are serving I, too. So, if yeah, if and the I milita- didn't really believe in the draft, but what I felt was that if we were going to have a draft, that it should be equally applied. Yeah, that was because I really didn't like the draft either. But if if we had to have the draft, I didn't think it was right to just have it be men that were drafted. Yeah. Well, over 40 years, we've made incremental progress here. The draft went away, and women were allowed to get more active in military than before. So that's kind of a, a couple of steps forward there. Unfortunately, we still have maniacs going in and out of the White House regularly, unchallenged. And both parties, as the example I used a few months ago, and I, I still hold to it, the beltway is nothing more than a giant toilet seat, and both parties yeah. have been taking a dump in the same toilet for a hundred years, and they never bothered to flush the toilet. Yeah. This is pathetic. We still have a parade of nothing but total criminals, sponsored by bankers and whoever else we we want to see is the sinister black hand in the background. Yeah. Uh, that that is what needs to get corrected next is this this parade of of total low lives that have no social redeeming factors whatsoever how in the world did they get in the white house and they have that much power handed to them 
and yeah. it's uh, well the ongoing reason for our, our our weekly discussions there. Well, okay. the the thing that I have trouble with is that I keep being I call it having the rug pulled out from under me. So I you know I think about stuff, I consider it, I decide what course of action, and I work on it, and then the rug's pulled out from under me, and so now I have to go and try to assimilate that. It's that cognitive dissonance thing again. It's like, huh? What do you mean we can't trust the president? Huh? What does that mean that we can't trust the president? I don't get that. Yeah, I know that JFK is a womanizer. I've heard that he fools around with other women and not just Jackie. But, you know, he's still good, though, right? I mean, he makes, like, nice speeches. He seems to be a nice person. He, you know, he's a Catholic. He goes to church. He's He's, you know, photogenic. The whole family is wonderful. They lost that poor baby to Highland, whatever it was, membrane disease or whatever, their baby they lost. Um, and his brother is like a fool. And, you know, but they have a good, strong family, right? And so, and then, okay, well, what the heck? Now, what is with this guy? You know, and, and it just as, but I was getting older. I was a kid when Kennedy was in office, you know, so I didn't really know that much anyway. But things that just, you think you you can kind of halfway believe that, and it's you know you're hanging your hat on that, and then no, nope, that's not right. Rip your you know rip that off, and it's been like that the whole time. And it right now it's like in every area that's going on, having the rug pulled out from under you. And so one week I feel like yeah, this is it, this is it. And another week I'm totally on something else. But I think that it's because it's such an era of change. We have this great change going on, and it has to have chaos in order to be able to make the change. Otherwise, we'd just be sitting there going, oh, everything's going good. Trains are running on time. You know, kids are at school, and I'm sitting here watching TV. So we're going to have chaos, and it's going to probably be more chaos before it settles itself. But And Charles is still in there making comments in the chat, so. Oh, yeah. I will read it. I will read it. So. All righty. I guess that that's wrapping it up, because I think James has gone to bed. Dottie left. Leon left. Some other people left. LM's still hanging in here. Guest 6 and 16. Charles is still here. I don't know who Quest for Truth is, but. Maybe we've talked to them before. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, Desert Beat came on and uh, scared away half the listeners, so it's time for me. No, to... I don't think you scared them away. No, <laughs> I think some people listen to it later anyway. Oh, Fix It Fast is still listening, but needs okay. to be sleeping because it's late when you're working in the morning early. I've been oversleeping, so I haven't even made it into a Rustic Watchman that often the last few weeks, but I have been listening to the archives because I want to know what's going on in Maine, and I'm very excited about Maine. I said in Able Danger's chat yesterday that people need to pay attention to what's going on in Maine because it's hot, 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 and I mean it. We have a lot of stuff going on here. We're um, attempting to um, reverse some of the progressive stuff that happened in Maine, but reverse some of the changes that took place without our consent. So um, that is a group that's working and I'm not working with them, signed on, going to everything with them and putting my name on it, which is the Constitution Coalition people that have now kind of uh, formed a corporation called We the People of Maine and Dottie and all of them. However, 
in the background, I am studying on what they're doing. If there's anything I can contribute to, I am contributing to it. So I'm sort of like the ghost writer of someone's biography. I am working in the background for some of my own reasons and just because I have other things that I'm doing. So I think that Maine is going to be doing some things that are going to make a ripple effect. Whether or not it gets in the media, I don't know, and I don't really care. We're trying to save Maine because I think it's uh, one of those, um, what do you call that, a watershed when things start to change because one or two things change. I think it's going to create some momentum in other places where people aren't paying any attention because we are here, that's for sure. Um and Charles is saying popular support in each jurisdiction needs to reach critical mass. Yep. Well, we do what we can do. When your car is broken well, we down and your phone's about to be cut off, you're a little you're a little handicapped. But uh, and you're in the desert. I mean, what <laughs> well, are you supposed too. to do? Walk down to L.A. and get in a march with a bunch of people? Being in the desert without a working car is no fun. So. Oh, really. Oh. Uh, we look for better times sometime. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yep. No, that that's as far as my Christian faith. I know Christ is coming back someday. I have no idea when. I just know I have a responsibility to live what he told me and try to keep things as civilized as possible while I'm still here. So. Uh, well, I think that it. my belief is very close to that. I just think it's going to be a massive change and it's going to be in the right direction because in my view God's working in everyone and in some people they're denying it or they're signed on to the evil side and they're either going to change or they're going to be run over because I believe it's all a creation thing. It's something that's going to happen. We're here for a reason and the reason is that we're going to have the uh, triumph over the evil. So that's my belief, and uh, I don't know why else we would be here, honestly. What would be the point? So that's what I'm working on. That's what uh, that's where everything comes from, in my view, is to keep going in that direction. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, some sympathetic comments in the chat here. Uh, I. Yep. I do not want donations from anybody. Uh, I have uh, started two very legitimate corporations and have uh, spent 15 years keeping all their registrations legal and current. I try to do everything by the book. And I have been, uh, not to dwell on my own personal life, but I've been spending a lot of time soliciting genuine accredited investors who are the only people I'm allowed to talk to with a closed corporation. So that's why I don't yeah. come on here and ask for any donations. It's, uh, yeah. uh, these are friends. These are like-minded friends here at this program, and, and I love uh, expressing my views here. But uh, yeah. I, I don't like the idea of asking for handouts from anybody, even from government. I detest yeah. the idea of welfare. I love the idea of investment in your fellow man because uh, as I read Scripture, especially Luke, Luke uh, chapter 6, verse 34 and 35, you see we are encouraged to live on the fruits of our labor and not by debt. And the idea of indebting 
other people is abhorrent and condemned in Scripture. So we should be living on, plant a seed and live off the fruits of the tree that you just planted. Wasn't uh, that um, wasn't that in that gray state beginning part of that? Wasn't it about that, about people working and having the results of their labor? I bookmarked the link. I haven't had time to watch it yet. <laughs> so oh, I, my I, I gosh. I'm going to try to finish that tomorrow because I really liked what I was seeing, even though I was aware of the fact that it was, it was hugely propaganda-type stuff. I mean, the reason I knew that is because the music in the background and the way that they, you know, it's the same as with anything that has, like, Alex Jones and people like that in it. They always have the need to put that emotionally charged music with it and stuff. And it, it to me, it takes away from the message, but that's my opinion. Um that, um, but the clips themselves of the people speaking and the ideas that were in it, I did like. And I, you know, I've listened to Michael Moore before and liked some of the things that I've seen from Michael Moore. Doesn't mean I agree with everything he does politically or that I do, that I don't believe he manipulates because I recognize propaganda. I know how to use propaganda myself if I wanted to. It's not that hard. Just study on it a little bit and you can figure it out. Um, and we've we've used a little bit of the techniques ourselves in order to get our points across. We've you know one of the things is repetition. Just keep saying the same phrases over and over again until you start seeing people saying them and it's caught on. It's like planting a seed. And um, so those things. But I did think that it was worth watching, definitely. And the guy is in it. You get to see the one who supposedly killed himself and his family. Yeah. Not likely. He was about to make a lot of money. No, every time I hear the word suicide anymore, I'm thinking, all right, who framed the murder? Yeah. Uh, and just a, a follow-up on that, whenever I see suicide by hanging, good grief. If anybody wants to get it over fast, you they would never choose hanging. Uh, that doesn't even make logical sense. So any hanging is obviously murder whenever I hear of that. Well, sometimes people just want to make a dramatic display for whoever's going to find them, too. And they know how gruesome that would look. So it's like, yeah, I'll I'll get back at her. I'll just do this. And when she comes home, she'll be hanging here in the living room. I think there's probably people that hang themselves. But Um. I agree with you. Some of the stuff is a little suspicious, especially when people close to the person knows the person's, um, you know, demeanor. Like, my boyfriend and I both look at each other and we go, there's no way I'm ever going to kill myself. There's no way I'm ever going to disappear. So I won't just leave and not tell you. But when they say, well, some people just leave, you know, because they've had enough, I would never do that. So if I disappear, it's because someone took me or something happened to me. I would not just leave. Someone um, gave gave me a turtleneck sweater that was a little too small for me. I had that on only for a few seconds, and I had to yank it off. (laughs) The thought of anything that tight on my neck is is yeah terrible. Doesn't even cross my mind here. Yeah. Uh, I I believe in business attire and wearing a tie in the appropriate situation, but uh, but even then, I never tighten it that tight. (laughs) It's it's just sort of hanging there. Uh, 
So, you know, I'm, I'm really doubtful whenever I hear of uh, of someone dying by hanging, of, of it being a, a suicide at all. Uh, something, somebody was set up there, framed. Yeah. Well, Way I, too much of that. The minute I saw this guy, I was like, I can't see that person as being someone despondent and killing himself right before his movie's going to come out. Because he just, he speaks on the thing. He's in it. So you can see him, and you can see how he speaks, and he's happy to talk about his stuff. So I don't, I just don't believe it. But anyway, I didn't believe that that minister that supposedly jumped off the bridge in Maine did that either. A lot of people don't think he killed himself either. And it's just from knowing him, knowing who he was. He wasn't the type of person to jump off a bridge. If he was going to think, oh, God, you know, it's over because of, I've been exposed, he he would have been more likely to shoot himself or something because he was close with law enforcement. He was always with them. He he was like their chaplain. He taught at the Criminal Justice Academy. You know, I think he would have shot himself first or overdosed on pills or something. But going down to the tallest bridge in the area, which wasn't even at, he had to drive there for half an hour or so from his home and jump off that bridge. I doubt it. Really do. And there were people down there fairly soon after that supposedly weren't supposed to be there from other jurisdictions, people he knew. My theory on that whole thing was that he was told, come down here and we'll help you. If you meet us down here tonight at, like, 2 in the morning or whatever, we'll uh, we'll get you, so you know, we'll help you get out of here, leave or run away or whatever, and that they killed him. That's what I think they did. Because he would have, he would have, his personality was such that I think he would have exposed a lot of people. If he ever went to jail or court or anything, he would have just said, "Fine, you want to take me down? I'll take all these people down too." So, because it's yeah. rampant well, in Maine, that stuff is rampant. Bridge jumpings are another suspicious one. Because uh, he was a big guy too, so we figure it was probably not that easy for them to get him over the railing. But hmm. we think that they killed him, and it was law enforcement people that did it. Which so how are you ever going to prove that? There's no way you ever would. But he was he had access to the jail. He was always in and out of the jail, and the way that everything got exposed was that our sheriff told him that he couldn't come to the jail anymore. And when he asked to know why, the sheriff said, because you're you're under investigation. They just started an investigation on you. So he told him. And that was what the big scandal was with our sheriff, is that he had no right to tell him whether it was his friend or not. But he claimed he had to tell him because he had to give him a reason for why he couldn't come into the jail anymore. But that's what how they spun it, was that when he found out he was under investigation... He ran and then he jumped off the bridge because he knew that he was exposed, and it just it doesn't ring true, you know. Oh. <clears throat> uh, what the president of Argentina, uh, some assistant of hers, another alleged suicide. Really. It's it's always. Uh... <laughs> We're gonna have to start putting putting together a big you know list of this stuff because. Like Jack, I think Jack was talking about stuff like that this morning about all these people that supposedly had issues lately. I heard part of it. I didn't hear the whole show today, but he was listing down through some of the people that had supposedly committed suicide or 
had a fire or whatever this morning. He was talking about all kinds of them, and I was like, oh, yeah, that one. Oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> like Some of them we don't remember anymore because there were so many. Yeah. Well, this, all this malarkey goes back to Lyndon Johnson and probably even further. I mean, one of the 11 murders that Johnson was responsible for was, uh, I forget the, the poor victim's name, but uh, was shot three times in the back of the head, three times, and laying beside him was a bolt-action twenty two. Yeah. And the coroner on Lyndon's payroll declared it a suicide. Well, we we had somebody um, in the family, not my family, somebody close to me, their family, who had a boyfriend who was found dead in an apartment, and it was supposedly a suicide. And it was one of those things where the gun was like 12 feet away or something like that. But, yeah, it was a suicide. Shot in the back of the head, and the gun's nowhere near him. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's what they say when they want to cover something up, and they get away with it. But yeah. things are things are different in Maine. The the, the um, climate has changed significantly. Like in the last couple of days, um, the superintendent of schools here is Betsy Webb, and I talked about it before about how her son and two other young men beat up some guy outside of a bar downtown a few years ago, and the guy died, and it was brushed under the rug, and all these young men went away to college and had their life. And nothing happened. So every time somebody wants to bring it up, they just mention the name of the guy who died. They just say Ralph Greenleaf. That's all they say. Well, there was something in the paper this week about the Bangor school system, and they mentioned Betsy Webb because she's the superintendent. And in the comments in the newspaper, somebody writes Ralph Greenleaf. And somebody says, what has that got to do with whatever the article was about? In the, in the about the school department, and they said, because her son got away with murder. And then somebody else says, like I said, what does this have to do with? And so it's like you can say that it's brushed under the rug and nothing ever happened, but he didn't get a consequence. No, he didn't go to jail. He didn't go anywhere but to college. But it's never forgotten. It's always brought up. And as a reminder, every time somebody says the name Ralph Greenleaf, of what happens when you allow certain groups of people to put themselves above the law while they expect everyone else to obey the law. So it's it's actually still serving a purpose, even though it's not the way we would want to do it. So I, you know, I try to look at it that way, too. Because what are we really going to do about that? except keep exposing the individuals because we don't have the courts. And Charles, I mean, I understand why Charles says we need to get these other courts going. Yes, we do. I agree with that. I would love to be serving in some of those courts, seriously. But I'm not going to be the one to help set them up because we had them. We had those courts. So I can assist but I'm not going to be the one at the beginning of it because that isn't something I can do. I can do what I'm doing because I'm confident in what I'm doing. I wouldn't be confident in another role. I would be just, you know, I, it would take my attention away. stuff. And I think it needs more focused attention by people who are very motivated. So, 
I will just touch up on it that way, you know. So. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we do what we can. So. I guess that wraps it up here. Uh, oh, I forgot if I ever asked: is uh, is raw milk legal in Maine? Um, I think that they told uh, that farmer Dan that he couldn't do it anymore. If that's the one you're talking about, I'm not sure about. I think raw milk was. I think that he was the test case for. Darn it! I hate saying something when I'm not sure. I'm not sure if raw milk is legal in Maine or if or if it was just certain types of farms. But they told him he couldn't sell it anymore. Because I know it's uh, it's ugly sweeping legislation across the country is gradually becoming illegal, like a controlled substance uh, in many states. And uh, yeah, and I think that. Um, there may be a reversal of that in Maine because there's all kinds of stuff that's going to be reversed and all kinds of stuff the governor's talking about, which is really like right on the edge of putting the uh, Democratic Party right into the, you know, fits of whatever they do. They go into some kind of fits where they can't talk. But um, he's, he's talking about all kinds of changes this time because I think he's finally figuring out what's been going on. And one of the things was he apparently is going to try to get something through where he appoints the attorney general rather than the way it's been, which is that the legislature has been doing it. I think it's the legislature has been doing it. Um, And I'd heard that Maine was the only state that had it that way. And why we do? Probably because somebody said, oh, we're just going to have the legislature do it from now on, and nobody objected. So we're going to have a lot of changes. No, the only reason I ask is I, I just can't keep up with all the laws here in California. But uh, I was in a, um, a health food store just a couple of weeks ago, and they had raw milk for sale in the uh, refrigerator there. And I was surprised. Huh. I th- I thought it was already illegal here in California, but apparently not. It's uh, it's still there. Uh, we we had a huge dairy in the Los Angeles area. Uh, Altadena was the brand. And they sold raw milk uh, in all the supermarkets for years, and then some something happened, and suddenly Altadena was no longer selling raw milk. They're they're still a good quality uh, dairy. At least they've got no hormones, none of the other ugly stuff in there. But they stopped selling raw milk, and I thought that stopped it statewide for everybody. But no, it was just that one brand stopped for whatever reason. But there are other brand companies still selling raw milk in health food stores here, so that was pleasant to learn. Well, there's uh, things there's things about raw milk in Maine, um, but I don't know how current they are, so I don't know for sure. Yeah, uh, Valam just put it up there. Uh, raw milk has enzymes. That's a key factor. Uh, I've heard doctors point out that uh, children that kind of are born with allergy problems. Uh, if he puts them on raw milk, the allergies go away. Amazing enough. So uh, there are beneficial things to, to raw milk. It's still not thick enough <laughs> to replace the half and half of my coffee, <laughs> but mm. but it does have value, though. Yeah, that's the thing. I drank milk and coffee for years, and then I started drinking half and half, and now milk just it doesn't make it white enough. Makes it. R- Right. Why am I diluting my coffee? (laughs) Yeah, I don't like it. So 
Okay. Well, as late as it's getting here, good. You're coming up on midnight back there. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. Well, well at least I mean, I, it's really funny because normally I'm just like drifting off by now. I just can't even talk anymore because it's just too late. But tonight I have a lot of energy. I think it got rid of my headache to be here, which is great because it's like you know focusing on everybody and all the stuff that's going on. It's just so, it's so good to have people around that actually get it that something is you know not right and there's other things you can think about other than the Super Bowl which I could care less about and I don't care about the Patriot uh, ball inflation issue and um, it's hard for people to wrap their head around the fact that there's people living amongst them that don't care about sports but I honestly don't I don't get it what the big deal is um, and so if it's on, I might glance over and say, oh, that looks kind of good. That was a cool play. That guy ran a long way. But to sit down and watch it, I don't care. I don't even know the people. Like so. mine. That's <laughs> why we all keep showing up here each week. I was I was joking with James Ken earlier. I said I, I, I try to always hang up before I fall asleep myself on the, on the phone. So, oh, so wow. it's, about, it's about time for me to sign off here. At least we know we're going to see somebody once in a while and know that there's somebody around, so that's good. It keeps us a little bit in a better frame of mind, I think. So. Very much so. But anyway, I appreciate you calling, and I probably will go have some tea now. Green tea, some green tea and detox. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, have a good week. And, uh, All right, you we'll too. catch everybody next week then. All right, thanks a lot. Okay, good night. Night. Okay, I guess it's time for us to to get off the phone and go live our normal lives, as I used to say. Um, so yeah, it's almost midnight here, so it's I'm gonna turn into a pumpkin in a few minutes, and uh, I'm gonna have some green tea before that. So I'm glad everybody came, and I appreciate you so much for being here. I really do. I know that you listen. I know that you care, and and that's really, you know. A lot of a lot of good support there. So anyway, um, so I'll leave the I'll leave the chat on for a couple minutes so you can finish up your good nights and your links and whatever you want to say to each other. And I will say good night. Thanks for coming. See you next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.